This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberly. Kyler, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here today. Likewise. Thanks for being here. We have an exciting show for you today. Uh, this is the podcast that has everything to do with everything related to digital transformation, the people, process, technology, and strategy sides of change. You can find new episodes every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, as well as all of the audio podcast platforms. So thanks for listening in here today and be sure to subscribe and listen to past episodes if you've missed them. Um, we've got 82 glorious episodes so far, and this is episode number 83. So we've got a great show for you today. We've got a, a three major segments like we typically do in most of our shows. First segment will be our hot topics and current trends in the digital transformation space. Uh, first thing we'll talk about in the hot topic segment is the top five skills required for digital transformation, which is a great uh, topic for anyone about to embark on a digital transformation and or trying to put together the right team for their digital transformation. So we'll talk about those top five skills for your transformation project team. We're going to talk about digital skills in finance and cybersecurity, and more specifically why there is a shortage or a lack of digital skills in finance at times. So we'll, we'll talk through that as well. We're going to talk about the first artificial intelligence powered rapper or hip hop artist. Um, I'm super interested in this one because I love music, as many people do, and I'm just curious to see and hear or know how AI is going to potentially revolutionize music, I assume is what we're going to talk about there. And then finally, the last hot topic, hot topic we'll talk about is supply chain is melting. We're going to talk about how the supply chain is melting, and we're going to try and solve the world's problems here today in this podcast with that one. And that's, that's our, that's our stated mission here is to solve the world's problems. And then the second thing, the second segment we'll get to today is an interview with Wayne Holtham, who's the executive vice president of third stage consulting in Asia Pacific. We're going to talk about lessons from digital transformation failures throughout the world. So Wayne will be on the show talking about some of our lessons as consultants and some of our experience over the years helping recover failed projects, helping serve as an expert witness in digital transformation related lawsuits, and just talking about what some of the common themes and patterns are amongst those digital transformation failures. So be sure to stick around for that sec second segment where we'll talk about that. And then finally, later in the show, our third segment will be a panel discussion with Kyler, myself, and Greg Menton, who is the chief strategy officer here at Third Stage. And we're going to talk about our recent inclusion in the Inc. 5000 fastest growing companies. Um, so third stage consulting recently uh, just landed in the top one third of the fastest growing companies in the United States. And so Greg, Kyla and I are going to talk about uh, what that means to us and sort of what that means to our role in the consulting world and also just what some of the lessons are for high growth companies and entrepreneurial 
types of companies that are trying to strive for growth. So those are some of the themes we'll cover in that discussion later today. So be sure to stick around for that. But before we get to those uh, next guests in the show, uh, what are some of these hot topics you have in store for us here today, Kyler? Yeah, absolutely. So today I want to start with an, an interesting but very necessary conversation around cybersecurity and finance. Obviously, financial information and that type of data uh, is something that ob- that really needs to be secure and, and um, have those initiatives in place. The most interesting part is we've found through our research that the finance industry in general really struggles with a digitization or any sort of change when it comes to digital transformation. We see so many still using spreadsheets for their accounts payable and and manual processes that um, are really red flags for cybersecurity or for hackers, an open door. So just to share some statistics with you, which I found pretty impactful, in Q1 of 2022, the average ransomware payment was over $200,000 with a a median approaching of 75,000, pretty critical. And then the average cost of a data breach was 4.24 million in 2021. So obviously a a huge, huge cost if you don't look at um, cybersecurity. And really the key to cybersecurity is constant automation for finance. So having a bot or some sort of system that's constantly checking for any sort of malware or anything that that might be risk to the data management. Um, And then the the last thing I'll say about this one, and then we can kind of talk through it, is um, that essential protection against cyber threat and fraud. According to IBM, automation reduces the financial toll of a breach by about 80%. Um, so I wanted to kind of get your uh, your feedback on utilizing automation for cybersecurity, not only in finance, but just across any sort of industry or digital transformation. Should that be a main component when you're considering looking at a new technology? It it should uh, largely because you know the numbers you you discussed are pretty staggering. Um, the the average ransomware and some of the the impacts that cybersecurity lack thereof can have on an organization and the cross structure, not to mention, you know, all the other non-financial risks, uh, regulatory lapses and things that can go along with, with any sort of breach there. So I think uh, absolutely having a tightened up security policy and secure systems is really important. And I, I think that's why you're seeing so many cybersecurity related organizations with really high valuations and investors are pouring money into these cybersecurity firms because of the value and importance that's going to have in the coming years. Yeah. And we, we talked about that last week when we looked at the next billion dollar startups, when there is kind of a niche for that small to medium sized business, because I think cybersecurity is no longer a nice to have. It's a requirement um, if you want to be able to do any sort of digital based business. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And in, in many industries you have to have, you have to have it. I mean, it's not just for your own, sanity and your own uh, health as an organization, but for regulatory purposes, it's becoming increasingly common that you have um, really tight cybersecurity. In fact, a lot of our clients, there's a subset of our clients, especially in financial services, government, um, aerospace and defense, those sorts of industries where even us as consultants, we have to have a certain amount of proof that we our systems are secure because they don't want their contractors or their vendors um, exposing their systems to potential breaches as well. So it's something that's not just the 
primary organization that has to worry about. It's also organizations you might partner with if you're in a B2B environment or a business to business environment. Um, you know, chances are high that you're going to have to have certain cybersecurity protocols and protections as well. Yeah. And even on the governmental regulations, we saw in the UK that migration from the QuickBooks desktop to their online version, because they can't be compliant with UK's cybersecurity uh, regulations. So definitely a, a whole new world of compliance around cybersecurity going into the next decade. Yeah, absolutely. So the next thing I kind of want to talk want to talk about, um, we've talked about um, needs for cybersecurity competencies in-house, but I wanted to touch on a few other digital transformation skills needed. And the reason I like this article is because I feel like a lot of top five digital transformation skills list can be really cu cookie cutter. Like you need, um, you know, I IT infrastructure. It's like, well, of course, you obviously need IT infrastructure. But the reason I pulled these two out specifically is because I've never seen them on another list before, so I thought it might be interesting to discuss. So the first skill that this research uh, created an overview around is the concept of digital fluency. And this is basic and obvious, but then it sometimes isn't. So understanding that your workforce or your digital transformation community needs to be fluent in things like understanding basic software, cloud computing concepts, those types of, of different things. And I wanted to share a quote specifically from Harvard Business School professor. Um, I hope I say his name right um, or her name right. I don't even know. Um, it's Tazdili. Um, Neely points out that digital fluency adheres to basic tenets of ling linguistics, excuse me. Um, so she says, I often reference 30 per the 30% rule borrowed from the study of languages. When applied to digital fluency, it dictates the entire company at least um, at 30% fluency in order to move to a new digital, digital direction um, efficiently. So I thought that was kind of an interesting concept that I hadn't heard before, Eric, wanted to share and, and get your feedback on. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's super interesting, and I think it just goes to show that the the skill sets and the fluency that you need is not, you know, it's not just the superficial technology type stuff or the you know a deep understanding of technology. There's also, there's so much more to it, um, especially when you look across the entire spectrum of you know the organizational change slash people side of things, the operational side of things, just general leadership communications, understanding architecture integration. So I think it just points to the fact that the skills required to be successful in a digital transformation and, or just to build a career in digital transformations is pretty widespread. And I think that's why it's such a difficult, but challenging profession at the same time. Absolutely. And just the idea for younger people, we often get questions about how do you get into this industry? Is there a certain certification you should get? And I think this really answers that question. No, you should be digitally fluent in different ideas. You don't need to be an expert in anything, but being able to go into a room and have that baseline of knowledge is going to set you up to have a successful role in a digital transformation or any sort of business transformation. Right. Absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, certainly certifications can't hurt. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you, if you get certified in a certain technology that you might be deploying or uh, certified in change management or get your PMP certification for project management, those are all just quivers um, or arrows in your quiver. I always mess up that cliche. Um, you want to have those arrows in your quiver if, if it helps. 
Uh, but it's not so much the check boxes on a certificate certification. It's more the the combination of soft skills, hard skills, operational skills, leadership, communication, all that stuff. Absolutely. And the second skill that I wanted to highlight in this conversation is completely selfish on my part, but I've never seen it on a list before. And I just feel compelled to share it. It's called digital marketing. And of course, that's what I do here at Third Stage. So I, you know, it hits my heartstrings here. But most importantly, I think a lot of times marketing is seen as a soft science when it really is a digital based data driven strategy approach. Um, so this basically talks about you need to have the the competency to market in a digital area that also integrates with the data management for the business and understanding the customer flow, the behavior, those types of, of different data points need to be included in the digital transformation and the overall strategic approach around the project. Um, and then again, I'll share just a, a stat uh, so according to eMarketer.com, digital marketing spending, especially within advertising, rose um, almost 20% to $333 billion globally in 2021. Uh, so it, it is a, a huge area that needs to be part of any sort of digital strategy and understood. So um, I know, Eric, you, you obviously take that to heart as we do a lot of content creation for our audience and client community here. But have you ever seen that include included in a, a top five skill sets for digital transformation list? I have not, um, but I, I agree with it uh, wholeheartedly, uh, largely because if you think about it from a change management perspective, you know, if we just kind of hone in on that one discipline within digital transformation, it's so much of that is marketing, communications, uh, trying to change behavior, change, change mindsets. I mean, that's what we do in marketing, but it's also what we do as change management consultants. So it's a very transferable skill set, but it's one that oftentimes doesn't get uh, the attention it deserves in that context. Yeah. And that's a great perspective because you truly are marketing a digital transformation to your organization. There's expectations around job roles and those types of things that need to be included. But if you're able to set the perception in a positive way through a strategic communication plan, then you're, you're much more likely to not experience a ton of employee resistance. So that's a, a great way to, to look at it. Um, it's funny, I, I think about when I first started out, I got this really um, lucrative job off, offer to be in HR. And I was like, absolutely not. I'm never being in HR. You know, I'm, I'm a creator um, type of thing. And now I found myself typing those, um, those correspondence between HR and um, marketing all the time, specifically in our blogs and looking at how those overlap, I, I think is so interesting. It makes me kind of giggle at my my young entitled self. You were so young and naive back then, it sounds I like. Know. <laughs> I know, I was. I just, you know, I had to, I had to market, I had to sell. So, right. Well, you are selling, you know, and the other thing too, is it's not just selling internal ideas yeah. too. I mean, if you do a digital transformation right, it should make for a better customer experience, better uh, partner or vendor experience too. So you are kind of, if you do it right, you should be marketing and managing change, if you will, even with external stakeholders, not just internal. So I, I think it's uh, totally relevant. Sure. And I think, I think that's why I liked that aspect because it's that customer first or customer centric approach of you might have a, a really sophisticated point of sale system that makes the, the overall logistics of the transaction very easy. But if you're not harvesting that customer relationship 
and building that loyalty within a communication and an overall just relationship standpoint, whether, whether you're lever- leveraging social media or email marketing or automations through workflows, that type of different things, that should be considered as part of your digital transformation and, and your overall relationship with your customer. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I'm going to probably do a wrap about that after I get through our our next hot topic. And again, the names have really got me. So I hope all, for all you kids out there, if I mess this up, just be nice to me on the internet, okay? So um, there is a virtual rapper who is powered all by AI. So there is an actual person behind that. But when it comes to actually creating lyrics, um, the, the robotics of the rhythm behind the actual rap, the um, auto-tune, those types of different technologies when it comes to auto-tech, um, those are all powered by artificial intelligence. So the the hot topic about this virtual rapper is this is the first time an AI-based rapper has signed with a major record label to make an actual record. Um, so according to Music Business Worldwide, um, robot rapper, and it's I think it's FN Mecca, but again, don't quote me on that. I'm not cool or hip in any way. So has signed a deal with Capitol Records, which is a huge global record agency, um, for his first single that he dropped. It's called Florida Water. Um, So I'm going to play a quick clip for you that's about um, 15 seconds long, just so you can kind of get an idea of what I'm talking about. So Cassie, if we can, this is where we'll put in the clip. If not, um, you can just cut me off at that last part. So I'm going to go right into that transition. So... So Eric, FN Mecca's fan base is humongous on social media. Um, Over the years, he has 10 million followers on TikTok and over a a billion views on video sharing platforms. Um, He invites fans into his his kind of virtual world. So if you watch that audio, there's um, big jumbo Bugatti um, jets that land in like McDonald's lines and like those are his music videos. Um, So it's a a really new, interesting way to talk about the digital consumption and creation of music, but also just the overall popularity behind that trend specifically within younger audience. So I had to ask you, you know, being a huge music buff, classic rock fan, what are you going to do when, you know, somebody comes out with an AI version of Boston, which is what, you know, Boston's third stage record, third stage is named after in, in some way, shape or form. Do you feel like you're going to be okay if that goes to an, an AI voice as opposed to Boston? Uh, yeah. I mean, if you're going to, I guess what a couple things came to mind, there's my head spinning on this whole thing, by the way, so bear with me here, but uh, the, uh, I guess I, you know, I, I don't think, you know, with rock and roll, it may, might be a little bit different. I mean, we might be a further off in, in AI influencing rock and roll, but I could see AI having a big influence, not just on hip hop, but have you, do you know what uh, like mashup mashups are like yeah. where you take classic rock and then you mash it up with some hip hop and you combine and transition to different songs. I mean, I think there's AI, I could see really working well for that because there's so much you have to do to make sure that it's the right um, rhythm and the, similar chord structure to where two songs could sort of go together and sound okay. I, I could see AI just like scanning mass amounts of music to find the right 
combination that's the most, you know, that resonates the most with, with the human ear. Um, so that, I think that could be pretty cool. Um, and I think it's cool how, like, I just be, I guess I'd be curious to know more about like, if how the AI works, if the AI developed the lyrics based on, based on what, like, how did the AI, like, what's the AI looking to, to develop the lyrics and the beats and the auto tune and all that stuff? Are they scanning like music libraries of what's popular to replicate that? Or do you know? what how exactly i have no idea i mean you you're asking way too much of me right now but no you could probably go over to mecca and ask him on his tiktok page so maybe you can do like a duet on your tiktok page um for one of his videos yeah actually i I should do that and uh another thing that brings us full circle that i have a random story but that's relevant here bear with me is that uh about a year and a half ago or maybe two years ago right in the midst of the um of the COVID pandemic when we were all still sort of working at home or whatnot, I went down the clubhouse rabbit hole, the, the app clubhouse, which is a, which is a audio only um, social media platform. And it's one where you can just join different rooms on different topics and, and um, different um, you know, you can create your own rooms and your own discussions and whatever. And it's just audio. You're talking on your phone. And um, I went in this one that was about artificial intelligence and the way it works in clubhouse is you have to raise your hand and you, you kind of move up the queue to be able to speak, to be able to share a thought or to ask a question or whatever. And so I was in this room on artificial intelligence and I moved my way up the queue. It was a massive room. There's tons of people in it. So it took me a while to get to the top of the queue and I was about to, um, I was about to go up next. And then uh, MC Hammer <laughs> joined, the, joined the room. And uh, if you don't know, M- MC Hammer is a very famous <laughs> hip hop artist back in the 90s. And I was like, what? Why is MC Hammer in this room? And, and the only reason I knew that is because they, the moderator made a big deal that MC Hammer's in the room. And by the way, today's his birthday. So we're going to have him up on stage right now. And so he, he kind of bypassed me and went and took over the stage. It was super interesting. I'm glad I stayed to hear that. But um, my whole time I was thinking, uh, darn you, MC Hammer, you, you bumped me from my spot in the, in the stage. But also, why is MC Hammer so into artificial intelligence? And he was really into it. Like he was talking, like I, almost, I actually didn't believe it was him at first, but his voice is so distinct, I, I knew it was. But it's an authentic, authenticated account. And he's like a big investor in data science, data analytics, artificial intelligence. That seems to be his post hip hop uh, thing that he's doing right now. Um, so I guess now it's all coming full circle. The, the, the rappers and, and artificial intelligence seem to be, seem to be a thing. And 90s rappers, that's, <laughs> right. I, I, I'm in complete shock. I'm speechless, which rarely happens. Um, but that's, that's so interesting um, that MC Hammer is, maybe he'll bring back those parachute pants and we'll all just be, I know, you know, a- AI will tell him that that's a good uh, fashion move to bring back uh, parachute pants. Maybe, maybe that's what he'll learn yeah. through AI. You know, hey, I've had two kids, so parachute pants are are on my list. That sounds good to me. <laughs> right, um, right. But but transitioning to supply chain for our last um, hot topic here, uh, supply chain man, he, they just cannot catch a break over here. It has been a wild ride on supply chain. Uh, so basically, what we see happening right now is the high temperatures in China are actually forcing China. Um, different areas, the factories to cut power. So just to give you an idea of how hot it is in China, if you're not there right now, you probably know much better than us. But the nighttime low in one of these cities that uh, had to shut down their factory was actually 95 degrees Fahrenheit. 
Um, so that is extremely hot. Um, and as, as a result, they are, um, you have huge factories like Toyota, um, Amperex Technologies, um, and then all kinds of different uh, battery makers within the world that have actually shut down their factories. Um, others include Tesla. Of course, we can't t- have a ground control episode where we don't mention Elon Musk, so I had to bring that in. Um, and then uh, SAIC Motors have seen um, operations affected in Shanghai, and they can't ship parts because the rivers for these big barges have dried up. So just to give you kind of like a visualization, you think of these large shipping barges, right? And think about all of the water around them being not water, but mud that's all cracked and dried. So the ship is like trapped in there um, and they can't get any of the goods through. So the supply chain woes continue. And I thought that might be an interesting hot topic after your conversation last last week with with Bryce, uh, because a lot of these bigger um, retailers had actually purchased barges. And I just can imagine now they're like, okay, are you serious? I can't even get my barge out because there's no water. So what am I going to do now? Um, so, uh, you know, we talk about the flexibility in supply chain and the need to be creative, but man, I, I can't imagine continuing to run out of ideas on how to get your product and it not be so disrupted. Yeah, that's super interesting. And we didn't touch on that last week. And uh, by the way, that last episode, episode number 82, was when we had Blythe uh, Blumthal. I think it's or Broom, Blythe Broomthal. Broom, I can't remember her last name. I, I apologize, uh, Blythe, if you're listening to this episode. But it, it was Blythe, and she's with uh, Digital Dispatch and um, a supply chain expert. And she talked about a lot of different things, a lot of different ways you can reorganize a supply chain or that you need to adjust your supply chain to deal with um uh, modern day supply chain needs, but we didn't really touch on that, you know, using uh, predictive analytics or AI back to the AI thread there, you know, could you use that to anticipate where there might be climate related impacts or uh, rivers or lakes drying up or oceans uh, impacting the way freight moves across continents? I, I don't know, but that's a really good point. Absolutely. Well, we'll have to um, do a little duet with her on on TikTok to see what her thoughts are on this. But um, some great hot topics, which I think really tie in nicely to your conversation with Wayne Holtum, who's the head of our APAC business here at Third Stage, to just talk about kind of that baseline of digital transformation failures, which obviously supply chain is a huge and AI, emerging technologies are a huge piece of. Um, so that was a great conversation from both of you that I'm excited for our listeners to um, hear. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll, uh, we do have a great conversation coming up uh, for you with uh, Wayne Holtham, who's been on the show in the past. He's our uh, ex- executive vice president of Third Stage Consulting Asia Pacific. He's based out of Brisbane, Australia. So we're going to bring him on the show and we're going to talk about lessons from digital transformation failures and some of the uh, pitfalls and lessons and warning signs that you should watch for in your digital transformation. We're going to unpack all of that when we have Wayne on the show. But first, we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. Hi, this is Eric Kimberling, the CEO of Third Stage Consulting. And we recently hosted our Digital Stratosphere 2022 virtual event. It's three days of packed content related to digital transformation best practices, about 
16 or 18 different workshops and different speakers that are presenting on different topics, everything you need to know about transformation. The, the bad news is you, if you miss that event, the event's over. The, the live event already happened. But the good news, if you've missed it, or even if you did attend it and you want to see replays or you want to catch the sessions you missed, you can do that now by going to stratosphere2022.com. Go to stratosphere2022.com, register. All you have to do is put in your, your name and email address, uh, just a few fields. You get immediate access to all the recordings. And the recordings cover everything from digital strategy, um, software selection, organizational change, process improvement, architecture, data migration, cloud, trends in the industry, um, how to avoid failure, some of the legal aspects to think about, contractual aspects to think about as it relates to your transformation. All that is stuff that you'll get by registering for Stratosphere 2022 Replay. And again, go to stratosphere2022.com and you can listen to all the replays of all the workshops that you might have missed at the event. So hope you check it out and uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 83. I'm here with Kyler Cheatham and excited to have our next guest on the show, uh, Wayne Holtham, who's the Executive Vice President of Third Stage Consulting in Asia Pacific. Uh, he's going to be on the show to discuss with me the idea or the, the concept of digital transformation failure. What causes transformations to fail? Why do so many of them fail? Um, what are some of the lessons we can take away in our transformations? And just to set some context, we've published on our YouTube channel, Kyler, we've published a bunch of uh, videos and lessons and that sort of thing related to failure. In fact, one of our YouTube videos is the top 10 digital transformation failures of all time. We have the top 10 ERP implementation failures of all time, which there's some overlap between the two, but we're constantly looking at some of these really big high profile organizations like Nike and Waste Management, Hershey's, a lot of really big global companies that have failed and their implementations. And there's other ones that we've been involved with too as expert witnesses and our clients that have hired us to help recover project failures. We can't mention them by name due to confidentiality, but we can talk about some of the common patterns and lessons and pitfalls that we see in those situations. So that's what we want to talk about here to do it today with Wayne. So Wayne, thanks for being here today. Thanks, Eric. Great to be here. Really appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Thanks for being here in the middle of the night, your time. Uh, you're based out of uh, Brisbane, Australia. So thank you for, for joining us at uh, a time that's convenient to a lot of us in the Americas and Europe, but not so much for you in uh, Australia. So thank you for, for accommodating the, the time zone difference here. Um, so before we jump into the discussion today, the whole thread of digital transformation failures, why they happen, what, what we can learn from them, maybe just tell us a little bit about your background and how you grew up in this, this digital transformation space. Uh, I've been around, as you can tell, for uh, a number of years, 20 odd years sort of thing, and, and worked on the sides where, you know, I've actually uh, been deployed uh, or deploying ERP myself, sort of a, as a company founder or um, with organisations that um, have deployed um, ERPs. And so I see it from the functional side as well as the delivery side. And so um, having been a consultant, um, uh, you know, probably... Um, for a portion of the time where I've been involved in change and been involved in um, some of the architecture, uh, those sort of areas, you start to get a fairly wide view of, of, of a program because they are quite complex. And so um, so for me, it's I've, I've sort of been around the area where we've looked at each facet of what it takes and deployed that either as a consultant or as a functional manager. Um, 
uh, delivering that. So, um, yeah, it, it does give you a bit of an insight into what can go wrong. Um, and many times things are hard to control. So uh, it's, uh, yeah. it's been a, uh, an interesting career. This uh, digital transformation never, never amazes me um, uh, because there's always something new coming and uh, something new that's going to trip you up. So they are quite complex. Yeah, and technology is changing so quickly and the opportunity for improvement is so vast that a lot of organizations sort of get lost in that that journey or you know that whole process of closing that gap between where they are today and what technology could enable for them in the future and maybe just to sort of transition into the first question or a first question i have for you is what are some of those common reasons why uh implementations fail and then i want to come back to maybe some examples that that you've seen in your your um in your career without mentioning organizations. This real requirements, does it actually meet what we need? And often it's difficult for an organization to be able to unpack what they really need and be very clear on what that is so that they can guide the vendor uh, or the system integrator to actually, um, you know, really scope out what sort of project it should be, the magnitude, the complexity, all of those sorts of things. And so at the beginning, it's very hard for them to really nail down this is what we need as a as a change to our business as an improvement to our business because that's that's why we do uh, that's why we put new technology in is the aim is to be able to improve what we do um and and that's often very difficult right yeah yeah i think that's a it's such a fundamental thing but it but also something that organizations so commonly forget about or just don't think about which is to have a really clear understanding of what it is they want. And it, and it seems like a lot of organizations think, well, we know what we want. We want to replace our old technology. We want to put in an upgrade of, of something new. We want to modernize our systems. Um, but that's usually not nearly enough to give clarity and direction as to how you're going to deploy technology, what technology you're going to deploy, what the impact of your organization is going to be, how you're going to improve your organization, all that stuff. That's, is that the sort of clarity of vision you're talking about? Or, or when you talk about having a clear understanding of what it is you want, what, what are some of those different dimensions? No, you're right. And I, I think this, the, the dimension is knowing what you want and then how you're going to get there. And, uh, and, and some people believe that just by putting technology in, that paves the pathway to get there, whereas it, it probably doesn't. What it actually does is open up um, a lot of challenges to the business because you know, people are going to have to do things in a different way. Um, you know, there's when you talk about processes that are involved in the business, people need to be able to think about that because often if we're putting new technology in, our, our context has changed, the way we operate has changed. And so all of a sudden the way we're going to use this, the solution is going to change. And if we haven't thought those things through um, and, and, and really considered what it means for us as a business, then just putting software in and the technology provider saying to us, "Yep, we've got the best software in the world. Look, it's uh, number one in the in the um, in the quadrant. It's it's all of those sorts of um, uh, promotional things that actually say we've got the best software. But it's only the best software on the basis of what the software vendor says, not not the best software for the fit for the business. And and sometimes trying to close that gap is the real challenge that uh, that organisations face when it comes to digital transformation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And in a good uh, follow up, follow up question here is from Kyler, our, our podcast co host who's who's listening in in the background here, which is who should the key stakeholder be that champions this understanding of business goals and needs? Is there a certain person or persons within the organization should, that should be responsible for defining what that future state vision is for the organization? 
I think that the senior executive team needs to be the um, uh, the, the the drivers and understanding uh, of how the business they want it to operate in the future. And and I think that's that's one of the challenges that happens is that you see that you know uh, and we we've, we've uh, had a call today where um, uh, someone was looking for an ERP and they. Uh, they, they send the junior out to go and explore what an ERP is, and there's no no problems with that. But um, you talk about operating model and how's the business uh, looking to operate in the future, and and a lot of those questions aren't understood. Um, whereas a senior executive is saying, well, you know, we need growth, we need to be able to improve our productivity, we need to do those sorts of things, and that starts to drive the discussion of what is the most suitable uh, ERP platform, because uh, not not all ERPs can deliver some of those things. And so um, so that's, that's one of the things I think that senior executives need to really understand, if we're putting this in, what do we want it to do for our business? How's that going to look? How are we going to get those improvements? Yeah, yeah. Now, once your executive team and your, your key stakeholders, your, your overall organization defines what those future state needs are, um, so let's just assume then for a moment you have clarity of vision, you have a clear understanding of what it is you want, you've got your future state are target operating model, um, organizational strategy, all that stuff is sort of laid out up front. You've done your you've done your homework on that piece of it. What are some of the more tactical execution reasons why transformations fail? So once you get into the thick of it and you start going through the transformation, what are some of those other reasons why why you see failure points? Um, change is always always a common one where people underestimate the 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 amount of change that you need and um, and often uh, you know, when you look at a project and, and um, people have sort of had a project running, uh, they don't touch all of the people within the organisation or, or keep them updated about what's going to happen and then they deploy something. And so all of a sudden you've got to get a whole whole cohort of users to actually use a new system where they've had no experience and many of the processes become foreign. And so so that's that's another area that, um, that causes some challenges. The other one also is that, um, you know, we have technology, it's more far reaching than what it has done in the past. And so um, many times we're asking people who have never used the system before to actually be inputting information and, and that can take longer in what their everyday um, workload is. And so uh, so you get a bit of pushback from that side. That uh, probably comes a bit to the change as well, but um, just that functionality piece that um, people are, uh, you know, struggle with to actually do something different. Yeah, yeah. And it's hard to have a conversation about digital transformation in general, especially transformation failures without talking about change management, because that is such an important, uh, important reason or root cause for, for uh, resistance to change. Um, just to kind of come back to the audience here and, and where people are joining from, thank you for dropping in the chat where you're joining from today. Um, we have uh, people from all over the world here, ranging from uh, uh, Vancouver, Canada, uh, India, Grand Junction, Colorado, Montreal, Canada, Athens, Greece, UK, uh, Chennai, India, Athens, Greece again, uh, Nambia, Mumbai, India, Denver, Colorado. So uh, just a few examples of where, where people are joining from today. But thank you for, for being here, um, especially those of you like Wayne that are up in the middle of the night, uh, <laughs> their time. Um, but here's a question that, that I thought was a really good one uh, from YouTube, uh, from Khalid over on YouTube. He asked the question, how do you convey the importance of digital transformation to non-technical executives? What are your thoughts? And, and that it's it's interesting. It's a it's common um, 
problem that uh, organisations have is go, well, we're looking to do digital transformation. I don't really understand what it means. I don't buy one every day. It's not something I implement every day. Some people, some executives may move from project to project and, and they may get engaged. And so there's a bit level of experience there. But um, it's, I'll just share an experience where we had uh, recently we were working with a, a manufacturing organisation and we actually presented to the board because, um, you know, they're sort of saying well, we're going to, we're going to reinvigorate uh, our ERP. So, uh, so we've had it going for a while. Uh, we don't believe it worked well at the time. We want to actually re-deploy um, a new version, and uh, and so we want to be able to um, to take advantage of the of the benefits that we're being told we have. And one of the questions the CEO uh, reached out and he said, "Well, can you give me in a very short uh, synopsis about?" what does ERP do? And so we went along and actually just did it in a, in a few sentences, what it basically does for his business. He said, that's the first time I've actually uh, been told that, and now it makes sense to me why you need to do what you need to do. And, you know, and uh, and it was it was quite interesting because often we have this assumption that the, that the executive should know. Uh, and I think we need to go back to basics and help them understand the basics. And I think um, they've Another client mentioned the uh, um, clip that you'd done, Eric, where you're taking your boys through, uh, I think it's Walmart or something like that, and you, you were describing how ERP works. And they said it's 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 really, really interesting because they didn't understand the depth and magnitude of what ERP does and how, how it should actually work. So um, so I think that understanding is a key one. And we, you know, we don't pay enough attention to it. We assume that people know, and that's um, it's always um, you know, always a risk if that's the case. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's very very true. And you know, and in you know, bringing technology back down to earth, back to the strategic business centric focused level is really important to the uh, the non technology types. I, I think the where where organizations get into trouble with managing their stakeholders is when they get so focused on the need for technology. Mm-hmm. So in other words, um, you know, one of the common themes we see now is that throughout the world, a lot of organizations are going through digital transformations because their software vendor is sunsetting their old legacy on-premise system, and they're basically forcing them to upgrade to a new system. And so a lot of times that becomes a, an oversimplified reason and purpose and direction for why we're going through a transformation because we have to, because our vendor is forcing us. Mm-hmm. And that may be true on the surface, but you really have to dig deeper and say, well, if we're going to go through an upgrade and we're going to spend all this time and money, we might as well have clear direction and uh, a clear vision and clarity on where we're headed, as well as the project governance, the change management, all the stuff that you know is, is going to be important on top of that. Um, that's right and 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 one of the things that technology as it's moved forward it's become more complicated it, I don't think it's got simpler and it's it's because it can do more it's one of those things that before we would just put in information and we would leverage that information whereas today we want it to be able to do a lot more things and so with that comes complexity yeah yeah like uh, machine learning you know mm. our technology has machine learning okay well what are we going to do with machine learning <laughs> you know how, how are we yeah. going to the software can do it, but what? How does that affect our business? How is it specifically to us? How are we going to leverage that, and what does it mean to us? And and if we do use machine learning and we automate a bunch of people's jobs, what are we going to do with their jobs? You know, their jobs are doing today. How are we going to fill that time? You know, and just having that really clear understanding is is important. But too often organizations just say, "Well, those people will do something more strategic. They'll have more time to be able to, you know, invest in thinking and doing more higher level strategic work." 
okay, well, what does that mean? Like to your organization? Because if I'm an employee, that's not what I want to hear. <laughs> I want to hear something no, that's about right. my, how my job is going to change. That's right. And, and, and interesting is sometimes that, you know, people go, oh, we'll put in AI and we'll have that, um, the ability to be able to leverage that. And when you find that underneath AI is based on consistency of process and most organizations over years have, uh, you know, have evolved to the point where many people have different ways of doing things. And so consistency is probably the furthest thing from, the, from what they actually do. And so to come back to basics, you actually need to get consistency to make AI work, not just put in AI and expect it's going to work um, because that, that actually makes it worse. So um, it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's one of those things that I think you need to really have a good look at where you are and, and how well you operate. Yeah. And also, you know, along those lines too, is if you look at where your organization is today and where you're headed as far as potential technology, you have to understand like how, how much change do you really want to take on? You know, if you talk about artificial intelligence, for example, that's for a lot of organizations, that's a pretty big jump from where they are today. And that's okay if, you, if you're prepared for it and you've got the stomach and you've got the plan and you've got the patience and the resources to get there, then great. But the problem is so many organizations think it's going to be a quick lift and shift that's also going to just magically involve AI and other advanced technologies. And they end up cutting scope because they can't, they can't consume that much change at once. And so they end up with a bunch of shelfware. So, so, you know, it creates a lot of problems when you don't have a clear uh, understanding of that order of magnitude of change and understanding if that's realistic for you as an organization and your culture and your risk tolerance and all that, all that good stuff. And, and that's right. And um, the global miner a few years ago um, decided that they were going, going to go on the journey of a complete digital transformation across their whole global business. And, uh, and, and, you know, they had the view that it was going to take them, uh, five to eight years to actually get to the point where they felt they would actually have the um, the digital platform fully embedded. And then they've spent the last three or four years doing continuous improvement to actually grow into that. And you think, well, so many people think oh, I've got to go live. I've got a, you know, I've got a system I'm going to implement, you know, maybe a year down the track, two years down the track. And that's it. Whereas, whereas you realize that no, that's really the start. And so it, you, you've got to be in for that long haul because the, the, magnitude of change is far greater than people uh, can imagine when they're embarking on one of these projects. Yeah. And that, that magnitude of change is only increasing over time because technology is generally changing a lot faster than organizations are changing. So um, I think that's something to be mindful of. It is, it is. And, and one of the things is that when you actually do um, work with a, you know, a platform over a number of years, you actually, uh, uh, improve it to the point where you're very very efficient with it and very effective with it many times it's been changed to the point where it actually suits your business then to go back to a new technology that might not be as mature it might actually put you back um, to where you were probably five years prior um, and that that's also a challenge for organizations and and some some are actually looking and, and struggling to have a business case to actually say putting in that new technology even though you're forcing us because of sunset um, you know uh, software, uh, coming to the end of its life and those sorts of things. Um, that they're also being challenged with that, saying, well, I can't get a business case out of this because your new solution isn't mature enough to actually deliver what we have today. So, uh, so that's also a challenge. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We're here having a discussion about digital transformation failure with Wayne Holtham. We have a lot more to cover, a lot more questions to get into. But first, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. Whoa. 
you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 83. You can find new episodes every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, as well as all of the audio podcast platforms. And we're here chatting with Wayne Holtham, talking about digital transformation failure. Now, we've been we've been touching on change management quite a bit here, and, and I wanted to get to this question from Shiva over on YouTube. Shiva asks, please highlight to what extent system integrator can involve in contributing to the organizational change management. So... In other words, what role does the system integrator have in change management? Should they have? Uh, are they good at it? All, all that stuff. What, what are your thoughts there? Yeah. Uh, often, often system integrators are poor at um, at change because because their focus is about building software. It's about configuring software, customizing software, and so for their mind is that uh, change uh, the people part of that, which is what change involves, is probably their their uh, skill set that's that's least effective. And so um, I think I think for uh, change management, you need to actually have um, the, the the ability to be able to engage with the people, the ability to be able to help people understand the why that this change is happening, and uh, and and what it means to them, and take that fear factor out. And the system integrator is usually uh, not involved in that. You know, uh, they they are more focused, as we say, in being able to build and and craft the technology platform. Um, to deliver an outcome, and uh, the people outcome is not necessarily um, their strength. Right, right. It's a great, great point, and I, I agree with you on that. It's it's usually not they they can oftentimes scratch the surface of training the trainers. You know, that's usually yes. something the focus. They might help with some real light communication type work, but when you start getting into the the heavy organizational design and change impact and um, user adoption and just getting deep into the change management, that's usually not what they do because it's not, it's not what their core competency is. And it's also not how they make most of their money. They make most of their money on deploying technology. Yeah, um, that's exactly right. Yeah. How about, um, here's another interesting question. Another one from YouTube. Um, this is for Mayas uh, on YouTube. Thanks for being here again today, Ayas. And I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Um, could you give us a stat about out of 10 implementation implementations or transformations the key stakeholders consider the whole project something more along the lines of I bought a new super cool toy for others to see. Um, so what percentage or how many out of 10 implementations would you say have that sort of, I don't want to call it the wrong purpose, but maybe the, the wrong focus of, of a transformation that's more focused on the technology and the cool stuff that the technology can do versus the more business focused approach to the to the transformation what are your thoughts there i would say we're probably seeing say seven out of ten and that's a really high number when you think about it that you know people people 
believe they're buying super cool and uh, really advanced when you know the basics of what the platform um, is being put in for is being you know uh, not really achieved and so uh, so that the trinkets and the bells and look how great this looks um, and what it could do really relies on a lot more depth uh, of knowledge about the business to actually leverage that and so often what you find is you know this this really complex uh, solution that's put in that they never really use all of that and like you talk about shelfware at the end of the day because you know uh, a lot of it needs the the basis and the grounding of the business to actually and the process is quite clear to actually leverage some of that stuff and so um so yeah and 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 software providers are are very good at selling they've got a great demonstration platform where you know and often when you see the demonstration um it's got the best data it's got the quickest data it's it's been built purpose built so it's a very mature yet an organization when it starts off in a digital um transformation it's not mature. It's reinvest, uh, reinventing itself in what it's doing, and so that that's where often people get caught up is they see the the end product and the destination that is probably you know the the best you're ever going to get and the most expensive. But you know you're told it's out of the box and you just turn it on, you know, and it's it's okay. Right. Yeah. And and if you look at the you, you talk about how I, I know the question is more focused on the executives that that implement technology for technology's sake and due to the bells and whistles and the cool stuff that technology can do. But if you look at what the software vendors and the system integrators do, and just in terms of their choice of language and, and the words they use in describing their product, it's, it's, it's fairly misleading. I mean, if you hear, you hear terms like best practices or uh, pre-configured um, out-of-the-box solution, uh, even the word digital transformation, the word transformation, it, it suggests that this is a transformative thing that's going to really improve your business. And to be clear, any any implementation is probably going to be a transformation, but transformation isn't always good. You could be, you could transform into something you don't want to become or something that's worse than what you have now. So the reason I bring all this up is you look at some of the sales messaging that software vendors, system integrators, and even the industry analysts that the software vendors hire to commission all these reports about how great technology is. Um, you, you have this whole, you're surrounded by all this over optimistic positivity. That's exactly what we want to hear as humans, but it, it sort of creates this unrealistic expectation of what, what it's going to take to make a transformation successful. Is that something you see as well? Yeah, very much, very much. And, and it's, it's interesting because the sales, the sales machine, uh, marketing machine has really probably the face of many of these organizations and so they 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 really trying to take the fear out of this change that's going to happen and like you say they they use wording they use um, um, terminology that makes people think that well if i buy this it's so well advanced that it's the risk is quite low we should be able to just grow into this it should be great and and the reality is that um, that's not the case and uh, you know and if only we had you know um, the ability to be able to switch on plug in people and download information into them and they would go off and do that sort of thing I think it's called robotics but at the end of the day it's one of those things that um, that, that that's that's the the expectation they set up when it's not really the reality and and the sales machine takes over and and eases the mind of those people who don't really ask all of the questions, um, but are provided many more answers than they probably ever imagined they would need to um, probably comprehend at the time sort of thing. So, so that, that's, that's the, real, the real risk is the marketing hype um, 
uh, overtakes what your needs are. And so you think, oh, that'd be great. Think of all that, you know, and imagine the amount of data that people actually now need to extract you know, we want people to give us, you know, when they did this and at what time and how often and who they were and all of that sort of data. And you go, well, where does that add value in your business? And many go, oh, oh, um, never thought about that. And and so these are some of the things that you can have all of that, but does it actually add any value to your business just by knowing that a worker did something at a particular time on a particular day? And, a, you know, in some cases it might be as an audit trail, but um, but often it, it's not. It's one of those things that it's just the software vendors said, this would be great. This knowledge is so much power. And you go, well, does it add value? Probably not. Right. And the other thing too is even if it does add value, if you have technology that is uh, a big, massive jump for an organization, and if your organization isn't ready to make that jump and you're not going to be ready anytime soon, rather than just forcing it and saying, well, we're just going to force the organization to do something that we're not ready for, it's okay to take incremental steps toward mm -hmm. AI and super advanced technologies. You don't have to bite it all off now and within the next, you know, call it 18 months or 36 months or whatever your duration is. You don't need to implement everything in that time frame. You can do more incremental sort of a phase continuous improvement sort of thing where you're getting some core technology in place that's a lift from where you are today, but it's not taking you all the way to everything that technology can possibly do. Because if you do that, that's where a lot of organizations just get overwhelmed and they, they just can't handle that much change. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because some organizations will look at it on the view of that longer term with a, the crawl, walk, run type um, approach where you start saying, well, we'll get it deployed and we'll get people using it and then we'll start to get better at it and, and then we'll actually start to leverage the technology to give us that advantage. But that takes continuous improvement, a lot of change and a, a, a good appetite for actually making that change and stick with it because uh, many times you'll find executives aren't around for eight, nine years sort of thing. You know, there's, there's maybe a five-year, three, five-year cycle. And so a new executive comes in and wants to change things when you're already on that journey. And so it does make it harder to be able to um, um, probably put together a program where you're saying, well, this is a long-term, we're going to grow into it uh, and get the benefits that way. Uh, often that's a challenge for organisations. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, there's some really good questions coming from the audience here and I'm, I'm having trouble prioritizing <laughs> to be asked because there are so many good ones. Um, here's one. This is from Kyler, and then I'm going to come back to another one that's somewhat related. This is from Kyler uh, on LinkedIn. She asked, how do organizations balance the need for innovation or competitive advantage with the risk of too much change that will disrupt the business? So I guess that whole phenomenon we're talking about now, that this whole thread we're on here with advanced technologies and being able to adapt to that level of change and that degree of change whether it's incremental or whether it's all at once, what, how do you balance that? Like, how do you, how do you balance that need to know that you to recognize that where we are today is not where we want to be in the future. So we know we need to change. We know we probably need technology to improve our business. So how do we do that in a way that drives innovation and it makes us better, but doesn't get so overwhelming that the whole thing falls apart? You know, how do you find that right balance? I think often it's about understanding where you're starting from, you know, and, and many times we, we have change uh, people come in and, and uh, I don't like bagging change people because it's very, it's one of the areas I think is the least, um, uh, the least focused on in, in these transformations, but you need to have a real good understanding of where you're starting and be honest with yourself. And so if you are immature in the processes that you have or the way you operate, 
be honest with that because if you think you're better than you are, then that causes you problem and, and people then um, have that view that they've got a shortened timeline to be able to get there. Whereas if you understand your starting point is where it is and then you can start mapping out how it's going to take or how long it's going to take to actually get you to where you need to be. Um, you know, and I think that's that's one of the biggest challenges is that ability to be honest with yourself as an organisation because we all want to be in the eyes of, of uh, you know, our customers and our vendors that we you know we're doing the best when often we're not and uh, and and so it's it's you know it's that thing of being really really clear on how well we do things and then how far is that gap that we have to uh, to um, to navigate to actually get to the point where we've 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 actually doing what we want to do or, or we can leverage that um, the benefits of transformation yeah yeah absolutely how about this question from Khalid over on YouTube he asked the question, do you recommend having a digital transformation plan separate from the organization's strategic plan and goals, or should it be embedded? Your there? In, in my mind, it needs to be embedded. I think that, you know, it drives, and we, we often do this where we do operating principles, where we start going, what, how do we want to operate that operating model? And, and that then drives the sort of technology, the pace that we want to do, what we actually want to bring into the solution. So sometimes the, the architecture you want to bring on board. Um, whereas if you, if you have that in isolation, you're just doing, you're just implementing technology. And often that's where it loses its way of, of where is technology a benefit to support the business as against it just being technology. And, and, and when they are separated, that's what you usually find is you get a technology platform that's been deployed and the business goes, well, that really didn't do anything for us because that's not the way we, we essentially operate sort of thing. So, um, so I think together is, is a big piece to that working right at the start understanding you know, how you want to operate, what you want to do and how those processes, where's your value processes as such, why you're in business, what's the value you're actually deriving out of that. And uh, if you get that quite clear, then your technology starts to, to work in your favour. Right. Yeah, it makes total sense. And that's the best way to make sure that your digital transformation strategy and plan is aligned with your strategic goals and objectives. And it also has the other secondary benefit of making sure that your executive team, your key stakeholders are actively involved in defining what that digital strategy is. Otherwise, it becomes too easy for them to say, we've got our we've got our strategy up here, our organizational strategy. Now we just need you, Mr. or Mrs. CIO or IT director to go deploy new technology and we're just gonna let you handle that. But there's not that connection, the connecting of the dots there and, and that ownership that you need to have at the executive level. So that's by embedding it, I think you get some other benefits as well that are really important. Yeah, and I've, I've seen projects where they sort of have this technology uh, agnostic view and, um, and, and say, well, we're going to do a uh, transform our business or improve our business and we're going to set all of those objectives uh, on one side and then we're going to go and look at how, you know, look at a technology solution and, and that there is a gap between those. And I think, like you say, it's an, it, when you actually view them together and actually work and Im embed them within each other, that's where the organization gets the, the overall benefits. Here's a tough question, but it's a good one. Uh, from Chris over on LinkedIn, uh, he asked, so if the marketing hype, empty words are seen as such, what is the better approach to connecting uh, words matter? And I, I totally agree. And I like this question because there is such a, the industry, the, the digital transformation space is so good at crafting very careful 
deliberate messages and words. And I've mentioned a couple of them like, um, um, industry best practices, uh, lift and shift, even the word digital transformation. Another one is the art of the possible. You know, it's, it's these words that are very positive. Uh, they're very, uh, visionary. It makes you think this is great. You know, it's, 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 it, it feeds into the human psyche of what we want. We want to be better. We want our organizations to grow and to succeed and we want it to be easy. We want this transformation to be easy. So it's, it's sort of feeding into like our, our own blind spots as humans. Um, so how do you, and then by the way, one last thing on that note is you have this whole, you have software vendors that are perpetuating this messaging systems integrators push that same message. The industry analysts push the same message. So as a person that's out looking to buy new technology, you hear it from all these different sources and you start to think it's true. You start to think these words are true. And to Chris's point here that the, if they're empty words, they're seen as such. Um, it's marketing hype. Words matter. How do we connect the dots or how do we decipher between that hype, the marketing hype and the reality of what it is we need to do to just get down to business to, to manage our transformation the way we need to? That's a, that's a great question, Chris. And, and uh, for, for my mind, it's one of those things where you actually, it, it's putting yourself in control about what is my business need? How does it operate? And when you go back to the vendor, it's about asking, can you demonstrate these sort of scenarios for me? So when I am purchasing, I actually put a lot of pressure on the vendors so that they actually aren't just doing the run of the mill or these so-called uh, streamlined processes they actually start to look at some of the context that I actually have in my organisation. And, and it starts to show the warts and all of the system. If it's a good system, it should be able to accommodate that. If it's a system that's, uh, that, that, that isn't as great and, and you know, it has some high points, which is what they're showing in the demonstrations, then uh, it, it'll bring it undone. And, and that's a good point to bring it undone because you shouldn't really be buying that technology if that's the case. Um, and, and so often that first piece is knowing really what you want how your processes should work or how you ideally you'd like those to work um, and, and then asking the, the vendor to demonstrate that. And it takes away the marketing hype, knocks the wind out of their sails in the sense of, you know, this 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 balloon of of uh, wonderful stuff that's going to come out of this uh, this technology platform. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it makes total sense. And I think it really just gets back to you know, you can obviously you want to listen to software vendors, listen to industry analysts, you know, hear what they're saying, but you sort of have to take it all with a grain of salt and then get back to the fundamentals of what it is you're trying to do as a business. And you, you as a leader have to recognize, A, you're probably getting a lot of marketing hype. It's probably overly optimistic. You kind of have to see past that and really pick out the nuggets of value in what a software vendor or system integrator can provide. They're going to obviously try to sell you the sun, the earth, and the moon. They're going to try and sell you everything that they possibly can. That absolutely does not mean that it's that's what's best for your business. It means that is what they're trying to sell you. So I think you as a leader have to decide, just like anything we do as consumers, you know, there's a lot of things we could all be buying as consumers, but we don't buy everything that's out there. So we're selective. We prioritize. And I think as organizations, you have to be that way too and really look at, you know, what is it that's going to be best for our, our business. Yeah, and I suppose it's the basic sort of thing. It's if you look at it, we, we go into a, um, a a car a car sales yard, and they'll they'll sell us whatever they want to sell us, sort of thing. But if we stick back to the purpose of what we're actually buying, we'll we'll buy something that actually suits what we need it to do. And the same goes for software. We need to be back to focus. What do we want this for? How's it going to actually benefit us? Is it going to improve what we do? And get back to that that basics as against. Well, I bought a Ferrari to um, 
to move all the boxes in my warehouse. It's not going to work, is it? You know, I think the salesman could sell you that, and you could get caught up in the in the um, you know the the wonderful nature of driving around in this fancy fancy car or fancy truck or whatever. But uh, really, you need to get back to what's my need, what's my purpose, why am I why am I buying this? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, what about when we when we shift gears a little bit and go down back to the sort of the tactical execution level of a transformation? There's uh, you, you mentioned early. I think the first question I asked you, you one of your responses was that uh, organizations need to have a clear vision of of what it is they want their future state to be, and having that clear vision is a is a way to mitigate the risk of failure. But once you get into the execution and the actual implementation itself. What are some of the decisions that organizations make that commonly lead them to failure? So in other words, there's a it's usually not just one major thing that causes a, a transformation to fail. It's usually, it's almost like death by a thousand paper cuts. You just make a bunch of bad decisions, a bunch of bad execution moves. What are some of those decisions that are poor decisions that organizations often make that we, we haven't already touched on? Uh, uh, it's, there's a couple that spring to mind, and and uh, one of them is um, where they try to build in more complexity because a, a solution integrator gets value out of trying to make the system as complex as they can because they'll be around for a long time if that's the case. Because if they they've customized, they've built some code, they've done those sorts of things, then all of a sudden you're going to be their partner for a very very long time. Um, so that so that complexity that doesn't need to be there. Um, it's, it's you know if you if you actually adapt your business to suit the the basic functionality of the software you probably end up with a better outcome um and and the other one is ownership you know it's it's that thing of uh, we've bought this now it's going to be ours we need to actually own it determine what we want it to do and be very clear as you work through that and often what what happens is it gets it evolves and grows and and then you the organization gets told well oh we sort of can't do this as well as what it what we thought it could do and and so if you let the if you let the vendor or the SI continue on that way, you end up where you've got a product which you really don't want to own at the end, and that's where that failure bit starts happening, um, because you're not as close as you should be to what does that decision mean by them saying this? What does that mean for the overall project and understanding those sorts of things? And that's that's often a challenge uh, because no one's skilled um, from the, usually from the executive level. There's, there's, the level of skill of ERP and, and deployments of uh, digital transformations is lighter than, say, a SI who's done many of them or a software vendor who's done many of them. And so um, so that, that's a challenge for people is that they, they the distance grows the further they go into the transformation. Right. We're here having a discussion about digital transformation failure with Wayne Holtham. We have a lot more to cover, a lot more questions to get into. But first, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success.
Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 83. You can find new episodes every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, as well as all of the audio podcast platforms. And we're here chatting with Wayne Holtham, talking about digital transformation failure. How do software vendors and system integrators, before I ask the question, a lot of what we've talked about is internally focused. The organization that's going through the transformation, what are the mistakes they make? You know, they they don't have a clear vision of where they're headed. They um, some poor decision making along the way. They don't invest in change management. They take on more than they can uh, realistically consume in their transformation. So it's all been sort of internally focused. But if we shift gears and look outside the organization and look to the software vendors and system integrators, what are some of the things that they do to contribute to transformation failure that we should be aware of and just watch for during our own transformations? Um, it's interesting. They, they sort of lead you to believe that they've got an implementation uh, methodology uh, that actually covers you know, everything that you need. And, and what you often find is that it's a shortcut version to get the software deployed. And so understanding your needs. So they'll do a discovery. And, and usually what they're looking for is just those key areas that actually suit the, the software, not actually what the business is actually, what's happening in the business and, and the as-is type uh, situation. And, and so many times you start to find that the software vendor leads you to believe they're doing a lot more work in understanding your business and your organisation when really they're just trying to understand how they can get through this deployment um, um, as quick as they can. Um, and, you know, and hopefully you're actually doing that other other work and but they don't sort of tell you that you need to do that other work um even processes you know they'll sort of have uh, what they call world's best processes but they have them at the high level so they might be a level three or level four process but real detail is actually in your level five and level six processes because that's what people do every day and that's where all of the complexity creeps in and so if i've only ever built it to a very high level how do i get on when i actually have when i need it to actually deliver um, those everyday things that I'm, I'm looking for uh, as improvements. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Those are great points. And uh, yeah, just just uh, recognizing that system integrators and software vendors could deliver, theoretically, they can deliver a technology that works uh, relatively easily. I don't want to say it's easy, but it's it's easier than changing an entire organization. It's easier to deliver technology that quote unquote works technical bugs work, it's integrated, the configuration set up right, workflows are working, all that stuff. But that doesn't mean it works for your business. And that's the that's the rub. I mean, the product that they were commissioned or hired to deliver may be working, but you as an organization are responsible for delivering change to your organization and improvement to your organization. And those, and those are two two very different things. So um, that's, a, that's a really good point. Uh, and the, the last one there is benefits. You know, it's many times we... We have a business case where we believe we're going to put in this software, we're going to end up with some benefits. And what we what we end up doing is putting in software, but not really measuring what those benefits are. And often we can't even see what those benefits are because you know there's varying levels of what we call a failure. So yeah, it may be total disruption of the business, but you know, I, I think the biggest um, failure of a uh, digital transformation is where it delivers no benefits. Um, and, and those benefits cost you year in, year out. Uh, every year that you've actually got that solution in there. And so, um, you know, but no one measures that. And no one probably raises that as being a, a high um, area where transformation has failed. You know, we look at the the, the whole scale, district, uh, you know, uh, where the business is being disrupted. Um, but but the, the other part is where we, you know, we're really not getting any benefit or value back out of what we've just spent. 
yeah, it's that's always crazy to me that you know your organizations are are so careful in how they spend some money in in capital investments and things of that nature. Like a, you know, if you if a company were to go acquire another company or go build a building, you know, or or build some sort of big asset, you know, they're usually pretty good at mitigating risk and having really solid uh, risk mitigation and project management, and all that stuff. But for some reason, when it comes to digital transformations, they, they, they sort of they don't apply those same competencies and mindsets to digital transformation. I don't know why it is. I, I haven't quite figured that out yet. I don't know if you have, but I don't know if it's because they think, well, that's that's IT that's different. But I guess I don't. Maybe what are your thoughts? I mean, why do organizations think of IT projects differently than they think of like an acquisition or building some big capital project? It's it's interesting you say because we we're actually talking to a client today, and and uh, they're in the construction industry, and um, and and their thing was that they actually you can see it, you can touch it, you can feel it, and you you almost can conceptualize it. Whereas with technology, much much harder to conceptualize it because there's so many different factors that go to go into it as such. Whereas if I'm building something, you know, I've, I've got a, a fairly clear process. I put the foundations in, I do this, I get to this stage, I get to that. Whereas with digital transformation, it's not until you go to the final stage of pushing the button to go live, I actually start to see something that's really meant to be what I hoped I bought. Um, whereas a project, I see it coming as I go. And so if I start to see things going off track, you know, like the the, the foundations aren't as strong. I can I can attend to them early on. Whereas in digital transformation, it's hard to to stop at those stages and really know where you should be and what you should be seeing at that time. And that's that takes experience and that takes people that really um, are on your side. And I think that's one of the things that often that organisations don't really do is they don't have enough of their own power and knowledge to actually combat what the um, what the software provider and solution integrator will actually be telling you. And uh, and so so you get led along a path and then, oh, it's too late. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess I would say to executives that agree with what you said, which is other stuff that we invest in, we can see it, touch it, feel it, but IT, we can't. I guess I would challenge that and say, well, then make it something you can see and touch and feel. Define in better detail what it is that you're trying to do rather than just say, well, we can't touch it, see it, or feel it. So we're just not going to treat it the same as we treat a, a, you know, a big building or a big piece of equipment that we're, we're trying to install. Um, I would say, well, then you better do your best to define a, some clear vision and clear tangible understanding of what the organization is going to be. It may not be a physical product like a machine or a building or whatever, but you can still have a very solid blueprint for what, what the organization is going to look like, the operations, all that stuff. So I think you have to kind of call out your inner engineer and change management type personalities to be able to, to be able to uh, connect those dots there for sure. And it's, 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 it's interesting that many people have the view that when they are going in a, in a construction side of, um, of a project, they'll actually look and see these, these different entry exit stages. So I'm, I'm getting into this and go, whereas, often that's not applied in tech, digital transformation. And so it's about taking it back a step. Well, what should I be seeing at this stage? And have I completed all of the steps I said I would do at this point to lead me into the next point? Putting that rigor around it and that assurance piece that's in there, entry exit gates, uh, to actually monitor and assure your project becomes a very good way to be able for the organization to stay ahead of the game or stay in control. As against be told, 
well, we didn't quite get this one finished, but we'll start on this other piece of work because, you know, we've got people waiting here to get going. You know, that the clock ticking type thing ends up um, causing as many issues as anything because, you know, we want to keep people busy. We don't want to lose headcount on the project. And, you know, and that's all of the language that a solution integrator or a software vendor is looking to be able to maintain because they've got a timeline. Their timeline is we're getting from here to here and we're going to go live. And so... We can't we can't handle any interruptions that you might have or anything where we haven't quite finished. Let's let's get onto that later. Um, you, you shouldn't be doing that. You should be finishing something and then moving into the next piece and be very clear on what that looks like. And I think that would bring it closer to the scenario that you'd feel when you're actually building something that's more tangible. Yeah. Yeah. I want to pull in another audience question. Uh here and just to preface it, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, I think I'm pretty good at asking uh, well-timed and high-impact types of questions and very direct questions, but this someone that's even better, way better than I am at this is Sam Graham, who's uh, frequently on our, our live streams and podcasts. So I appreciate, always appreciate his engagement and questions because he, he always has great questions and they always come at the perfect time. So his question is, uh, does senior management need education and how do we convince them that, that they do? Um, he's just calling out the elephant in the room here, which is we're, we're kind of calling on, we're calling out on and picking on executives. So I, I apologize to all the executives listening to this discussion, feeling like the bullseye is on them because in some ways it is, it is on you, but um, do executives need more uh, education? And if so, how do we, how do we educate executives on all this stuff we're talking about, all these failure points? I think I think they do, and I think they need to be honest with themselves that they have a strength. And at many times, if I'm a CEO of a company or I'm a um, you know part of the C-suite, I'm engaged in that company to do certain things. Digital transformation is probably not one of my specialities that I've been engaged to do. And, and so going back to that step of saying, well, what do I need to know to make this successful, and then put in the mind of how do I learn that? Um, and I think that's that's that leadership piece. Is you, you sometimes you see visionary leaders and um, and, and, and they had that view of, I need to learn to learn things to get to where I need to go sort of stuff as against, I know it, so I just need to uh, roll it out. And in technology, I don't think you can have that. That's not a luxury you can have is because technology does change. There's, there's so many pitfalls that happen within technology. And so it, it's very important that, that, that uh, senior executives actually go back, well, I'm learning something here and that will help me get to where I need to be as against that fear of, well, people should think that I know this. And so I'll just, I'll just keep going on with the belief that I, I should know it. And, uh, and, and, and in reality, they don't, um, like you say, technology changes so fast and so quickly. Um, they should know how their business operates. And by learning more about what that technology means, they'll actually be able to join the dots a bit better. But, um, um, getting them to actually learn it. Some do. You see some really, really great uh, leadership teams out there and they really are embracing what it takes to actually make the, the digital transformation. But you see others that really just get the junior out there to go look at a digital platform and we'll buy it based on price and that's a, that's a road to nowhere. Right, right. So if you had to summarize then... Uh... What if you had to summarize just the handful of things? If we just sort of list out the the commonalities of what what causes digital transformations to fail, especially if we look at a subset of you know, if you and I were to put together every troubled and failed implementation that we have seen and been expert witnesses for or helped recover in our careers, what 
it seems like they all share common patterns. You know, there's things that they're doing that's very similar. It's not, usually it's not totally unpredictable or unexpected that these projects failed because they're doing a lot of the same things or making a lot of the same mistakes. How would you summarize some of those lessons learned or things that failures are doing that are, and they're doing them differently than the projects that, that actually succeed? Um, I think a lot of it is, um, and, and it's interesting, there's probably like four or five different areas that you start to see that there is, um, you see these common failures that happen. One is not knowing where we want to go or what the direction is that we actually want to be. Um, you know, buying technology for the sake of buying, of buying technology, you know, thinking it's going to be everything for what we need. And, and, and you know, we're supported by that view because that's what we're told when we are purchasing. Um, the, the appetite for change, whether it be for our senior executive or for our people within our organisation, that, that's another one. Um, you know, leveraging technology and the complexity that top technology can actually bring in. So you start to see where, um, you know, we want to have a, a really complex stack of, uh, of different applications. And, and then we don't understand how they all fit together. And so, you know, it's like playing in the sandpit. If, if not everything plays well, you end up where you know you've, you've people throwing the the toys out of the sandpit sort of thing, and and that's what usually happens if if we've got this um, this functional architecture that doesn't work together, it's not seamless. Then all of a sudden we've got problems happening. So I think I think those three or four um, things seem to be the common areas that that lead to that um, that failure. And, and probably the last one is the strategic alignment. Um, of the executive is saying, well, we all understand the pathway we're on. We don't have some people saying, well, my department's not going to do that or we're not going to do that process because, you know, in an organisation, processes have an end-to-end. -end. They start somewhere and finish somewhere and uh, and they cross many divisions within that organisation. And so you, divisional type um, uh, risks are often one of the, um, the contributors to failure when we talk about digital transformation. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Um, and then maybe just to, to sort of wrap up the conversation and, and give some tangible next steps or tips to organizations that are listening into this conversation that are about to start on a transformation, or maybe they're in the middle of it or early in the, in the transformation. What are some of the biggest things that they can do to ensure that they don't fail and that they do succeed? I know I, I sort of asked you, what the the failures have in common what are some of those common patterns but how do we translate that now into here's what you should do as an organization to ensure that you avoid failure i, I think when you're getting advice get it from people that don't have a vested interest um and, and we fall into the trap that you know we go and uh, ask a solution integrator um and they may be maybe dressed up as a um as a, a top tier consulting firm um, but but in the end, they actually do sell software and they do do those sort of things. So sometimes the answer you get is the um, is is the answer that they want to give you, not the one you actually need answered. Um, so it's that independent, I think, advice where where you're actually getting it focused on your business and what your business outcomes are, and then start getting that building that level of information and knowledge based on that, not someone who's saying, well, you know. The, the end of the answer is technology. So any question between that time is technology. And and that is the wrong way to go. Yeah, you think about all the you think of all the projects you and I have been involved with where the right answer probably would have been don't deploy that one module or that one piece of technology because that's the least of your worries. That's just going to complicate things. 
but you would never hear that from a software vendor. I, I can't no. remember a time where a software vendor said, oh yeah, don't use our software for that because it, it, it's terrible. It doesn't work <laughs> for that one part of your business. <laughs> they won't say that. They'll say, oh, we have a module. You should deploy my, the module of my software that does that. Um, and it's understandable why they do that because that's their job, right? Their job is to sell you software and to deploy more software. Uh, but that's not always the answer. And it's okay to say, we're going to take on less software, um, but we're going to do it in the name of really investing heavily in the people side of change, the operational side, the strategic alignment, all the stuff you've talked about in this whole discussion. We're going to do that stuff really well. And maybe we won't do as much technology. Maybe we're not going to invest as much in technology. Um, they may not want you to do that, but that could be the right answer for your business. And oftentimes it is for, for a lot of organizations. Um, yeah, you're right. And and that going back to that view of the crawl, walk, run sort of thing, sometimes having less technology, but more really focused on how well I use that technology is a good uh, crawl stage. And then obviously, as I grow more into it, I can add more into my uh, solution to leverage my maturity as I grow into the technology. And I think that's that's a that's a good way to go. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, Wayne. Great discussion. Appreciate your time here today, especially with that that unusual time zone that you were in. Um, great discussion. In fact, uh, so good that Kyler and I have some more uh, content to dive into or some uh, unpacking to do with some of those threads. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll, we'll get into those topics here. In the meantime, you're listening to Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 83. We just had Wayne Holtham on the show talking about some of the uh, lessons learned from digital transformation failure. What were some of your takeaways and thoughts related to that conversation, Kyler? Yeah, well, first of all, I think it's important for our audience to understand that, that we have two expert witnesses here at Third Stage. One of them is you, Eric, obviously, and the second is actually Wayne. Um, so because of that, I think it just... it it creates a lot of credibility around this conversation because people literally hire you when their transformation has failed to come in and look at kind of what happened and why that happened. So can, can you kind of elaborate on what's that like for you and Wayne to be involved in, from that unique perspective? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's super interesting because you get to see everything that transpired from the time the organization was first thinking about going through the transformation until the failure happens and they pull the plug on the project and sue someone over it. So, you know, whether we're on the side of the 
company that was trying to implement, or if we we're on the side of the uh, implementer that's getting sued, we we do both. You know, we get hired by both sides, plaintiff and defendant. Um, either way, though, we get to see the in, the inner workings of that entire train wreck, and it's a lot like uh, I almost the best analogy I can think of. It's almost like a uh, forensic analysis of of a crime scene or whatever. You're looking for every little tiny detail of what happened and how that how that failure happened and what some of the root causes were because there's so many moving parts and things that go wrong and there's so many symptoms of bigger issues or deeper issues and so we try to really get at the root cause of what what's going wrong there but it's it's almost overwhelming at times because you're getting into like every single email that was ever exchanged regarding the project and you start to see stuff that you can't unsee or unhear and um, I remember one project uh, I was on um, there were two people that were having an affair in the office and, you know, they're on the project team together. So you start seeing these emails that, um, you know, where they're talking, you know, basically the, the fact they were having an affair. So it's just like, okay, I didn't need to know that, but it was part of what I had to read to really understand what was going on with, with the project. Um, so you learn a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff you don't want to know. Most of it's stuff you do need to know to be able to analyze the case, but it is, it is very interesting though, because you get such a unique perspective on, you know, how some of these massive failures happen. Wow. Well, that is both overwhelming and scandalous. My goodness. You're going to have to do like a anonymous book or something at some point to talk about all the the scandalous things you've seen an expert witness. But My life you know, as an expert witness. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, but I, I think the the root cause of a lot of that is that alignment piece that Wayne was talking about, whether it's project alignment or executive alignment. And I thought the audience was doing a really good job of kind of giving granular questions because executive alignment is is one of those things like our audience today that just baffles my mind a little bit because you might have it one time, but then three months down the road, it might have completely changed. Um, and especially when you talk about larger, larger organizations that might not have technically savvy um executives or that the other way around they are hyper technically savvy and think that technology is going to be that savior and solve everyone's problems so i can only imagine that going into an executive boot camp which you lead with a lot of our teams all the time can be a a big challenge to kind of get and solidify and maintain that alignment yeah it is and and uh one of the comments that uh I think Wayne made the comment. I, I don't think it was an audience person, but whatever. I th- I'm pretty sure it was Wayne. If it wasn't, it was someone that was on the live discussion. Uh, one of the comments was uh, that you can, you know, like with capital projects, like cap- most capital projects, like a building, or even if you go acquire a company, you can you can see it, touch it, feel it, and it's easier to really. It's easier for executives to think about how to how to control or how to how to manage and mitigate the risk of those sorts of projects. But when it comes to IT, it's such a vague, nebulous thing to a lot of executives that they they can't see it, touch it, feel it, is I think what Wayne said. And I'm paraphrasing what he said, but that was the general gist of what he said. And I think the key, though, is you have to you have to unpack it in a way that the executives can see it, touch it, feel it, and understand how it will materially impact in a tangible way their business, their operations, the people, certainly the technology, of course. But it's not so much about the technology as it is about what your operational model is going to be, the way you're going to be organized, all that stuff. So that's a big part of what we do is we we sort of 
unpack these key decisions that need to be made, as well as laying out a blueprint for what this is going to look like for the organization. And then it becomes more real to them. And then it becomes more tangible at that point and easy, not easy, but easier to manage at that point going forward. Yeah. And I, that's a great point because I, I loved the idea that Wayne was like, you know, how do you buy other big investments? You know, those simple questions. And then it's like, oh, you know, maybe technology is not so unapproachable or unattainable in the fact that it can't match how your organization typically purchase things. Should there be nuances? Absolutely. And I also like how we talked about the roadmap in demos, because I, I personally think that demos are one of the most misunderstood pieces of digital transformation, um, especially without that third party independent roadmap that Wayne was referencing, because without that, the demo really belongs to the vendor and they can swing it in any way that they want, even if the organization does have a ton of requirements already laid out and their needs all aligned and that type of thing. I'm, I assume it can be really hard to kind of manage to what is the vendor actually showing you versus what is going to be the day-to-day -day experience for your users within your organization. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's, there's always going to be the stuff that the sales rep and the software vendor want to show you because it's a cool bell or whistle or it's something they think is going to sell you on the software, but you really have to back up and say, well, a lot of that stuff doesn't matter a lot. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd argue that most of the capabilities that a software vendor brings to the table for any organization is probably not relevant to them. Unless you're a big multinational that has tons of breadth within your organization, tons of different capabilities that you need. Most organizations can't consume and don't need all those bells and whistles, especially if you're talking about like a big enterprise wide system, like an ERP system. Um, where it's trying to be, you know, provide every possible capability under the sun. Most organizations don't need all that. So I think you're right. You have to sort of back up and to make it more manageable for your organization, you have to sit back and say, well, what, what is it we need? What are our priorities? What's the focus of this project and not get too consumed by all the other forward thinking bells and whistles that you may not be ready for yet. Absolutely. And from the demo side, that quality assurance of having that independent third party in there to kind of say, okay, you know, let's bring it back to A, B, and C, or that's a great functionality, but we're more looking for, you know, X, Y, and Z um, can really make sure that, that you're getting the maximum value out of the demo and really selecting the software that's right for you, not the best salesperson in the room, because it can be very easy to do that. And I'm the first person to be caught up in, in sales, you know, jargon when it comes to vendors. I'm like, that is the coolest system I've ever seen in my entire life. And we all need it. But what Wayne had said is understanding that the more bells and whistles or new technology you bring in, the more change you're going to need to get ready to absorb. And we all know change can be a huge disruption um, and even cause transformations to fail if it's not managed appropriately. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's very true. The other thing I wanted to ask you about, um, and I this is this is kind of this approach is kind of unique to Wayne in the fact that he does a lot of times talk about the importance of kind of meeting the software where it is um, off the shelf because the more uh, the more customizations, not only the more complexities you get with your system, but also the more tied to your vendor you become and dependent on them. 
And that's something that that we don't talk about a ton. I think we do to a, a point, but a lot of our mantra is, you know, the business and the objectives to lead the technology, not the other way around. But his approach is a little bit more hybrid. So I, I wonder what your thoughts were on that. Yeah, I, t- I tend to lean a little bit more towards, you know, letting the business drive the the technology. But I, I think you do have to have a hybrid to some degree. Um, you have to certainly meet the software where it is. But I guess the caveat to that would be, you don't want to meet the software where it is if it's deficient, if it doesn't fit what your needs are, if it's not the right software for a specific part of your business, then don't try to force it there in the name of in the name of meeting the software where it is or in the name of just wanting one single system to do everything. You just have to keep your mind open that, you know, that's not always the best answer. It may be that, okay, let's assume you, you're not going to customize the software. You don't want to do that necessarily. So let's assume that's true. Well, then what do you do? Maybe you, maybe you can find a third party bolt on, or maybe you can uh, tweak the configuration or the integration of the software or, you know, one of the other options is you could change your business processes to fit the software if that's palatable to your organization. And if it's something that isn't going to water down a strength of the company. Um, and so I think that's really the, the key. And you you might come to different conclusions for different parts of your business. So it's not a one answer for one organization sort of thing. Usually there's multiple answers depending on which function or which uh, part of your business you're talking about. Absolutely. And kind of the final thought I wanted to leave the audience with is when we talk about those need for customizations, if you're like me, you're thinking, okay, well, how in the world do I know, you know, what, what there's there's so many people involved, so many different partners involved, it can be overwhelming to try and understand what's going to be the best uh, purchase for your organization. And then also, we talk about a lot of transformation failures that either bankrupt a big a a business or they're a huge embarrassment. You know, we work with a lot of clients that have the change kind of hangover, right? Is that they went through a digital transformation that wasn't successful. And now the company kind of backed up, got their strategies in place, learned from their mistakes, but they have to overcome that perception within the organization in order to not experience the resistance. So, you know, they kind of have to backpedal a little bit. And the reason I say that um, um, sorry. What do you have thoughts on that? Or as I oh no, just, sorry, I didn't I mean just, to interrupt you. <laughs> don't interrupt. No, I'm just joking. Yeah. Um, but no, absolutely jump in because this is a long-winded next step. But one of the things I've learned most from Wayne and and from you is some of the first steps to understanding where those opportunities are is going through an exercise like process mining, which Wayne is um, an expert in. And we have a lot of content on our YouTube channel that he's actually done demos around process mining. So if you are like me and you're like, okay, all of this is great information, but what does that mean for my organization? That's a great place to start. Um, And then reaching out to Wayne directly too uh, can help he can showcase what that means as far as a target operating model. Uh, I know you and him did a live stream for ground control uh, probably about a year ago at this point um, around defining your target operating model. That's another great piece. So there's lots of content that we have out there around how you, you know, tactically address um, these red flags that you're seeing in order to buck any um, pathway to trailer failure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know what you mean though. Um, yeah. no, it's, it's true. I mean, I think there is, there's a lot that needs to be done in, in terms of that future state and that really 
um, what's it called? The self-reflection of what it is you're trying to become, what you want to be when you grow up. I mean, you have to go through that exercise. And I think in the, in the spirit of speed and agility, a lot of organizations say, well, let's not screw around with that. Let's just jump right in and start deploying technology. And that's a, that's almost always a recipe for disaster if you don't take the time up front. And in that time you do take up front doing those things and setting the vision for your operating model and your organizational structure and sort of that blueprint for what you want the organization to be at the end of the transformation, the time you spend doing that, you make up multiple times that during the implementation, but organizations feel like they're slowing down by doing that. And, and oftentimes you do have to take a step back to be able to take two steps forward quickly is to really take that step back to get that clear blueprint in place. Just like you wouldn't, you know, if you, you want a house with running water, you're not going to go, uh, you want to build a house with running water. I should say, you're not going to go out and just hire a plumber because you want the pipes in place so that you can get the running water faster. Um, you may get running water. You're just going to have a house that's going to collapse and isn't, uh, structured at all. So it's sort of, that's a similar analogy or one of the better analogies I can think of is you, you need to take the time to think about what's the overall house going to look like. How does the plumbing fit within that? But what does the rest of the house look like? Because the rest of the house is arguably even more important than the, than the plumbing. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, that, those foundations, right? If the foundation of a house is cracked, there's no way to fix it unless you completely lift up the entire house and redo it, which can be expensive and very time consuming as well. Um, so all really in, important things. It reminds me of, of when I, um, I worked at a bigger organization, Fortune 200 company here in the U.S., and we used to have like this overall conversation and running joke for years about this new system that was going to fix all of our problems. So if you had like a pain point in one of your enterprise technologies and you said, oh, you know, I really wish it did this or this field was there, someone would say so-and-so system will do that or so-and-so. So we used to just like, if you, you know, bonked your knee on your desk, we'd be like, oh, so-and-so system will fix that because it, it truly became, became such a running joke because it wasn't effectively communicated, that roadmap that you're re referencing um, throughout the organization. So nobody believed or trusted that it was ever actually going to exist. Right. Right. Absolutely. It's a, it's a good, good comparison for sure. Well, good. Well, well, that's a, a good conversation. We appreciate having Wayne on the show and there's, there's a lot of good takeaways there and uh, a lot more we can learn from failures too. So that we, we sort of started to scratch the surface there, but uh, hopefully that gives a good, good starting point for you to understand what some of those failure points are. And uh, we're going to shift gears for our third segment here. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to have Greg Benton on the show. We're actually going to play you a clip that you, Kyler, and I, and Greg Benton, um, from who's also from Third Stage, all three of us are from Third Stage Consulting, had a conversation about our recent uh, entry into the Inc. 5000, fastest growing companies in America. Um, and we're going to talk about uh, what that means to us as a company, but more importantly, what it means to high growth companies and scaling an organization and high growth in general. So we're going to have that conversation or play that clip here in just a moment. But first, we'll take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, 
Contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 83. I'm Eric Kimberling. I'm here with Kyler Cheatham. And uh, Kyler, uh, great news. Third Stage Consulting just made the Inc. 5000 not too long ago. Uh, great news for us, right? Absolutely. So exciting um, and such a great honor um, to be featured on such a prestigious list that their alumni includes um, companies. Maybe you've heard of them. I don't know, like Facebook and Chubani and Patagonia. So um, Under Armour. Yeah. yeah, those those all. So we're we're really really fortunate to be on that list and be able to continue to provide our mission of of uh, creating value around digital transformation and strategy for our clients. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm excited too, and that's a it's a good testament to sort of the the niche in the market that's that's unmet in in many ways, or it has been unmet until uh, third stage was able to address it with with a lot of our clients. But that that independent technology agnostic. Um, consulting offering is really what's what's fueled a lot of that growth. And so what we did is you, you hosted and actually facilitated a live stream that we we did a few weeks ago, where you had myself and Greg Benton from the third stage team talking about the Inc. 5000 list, what it means to us as a company, but also what it means to high growth companies and entrepreneurship and scaling for growth and all that stuff. You know, what are, what are some of our lessons so far um, being a high growth organization, growing fast enough to be at the upper end of being 5,000 fastest growing companies. So with that, let's go ahead and roll the clip and uh, you'll see what we mean by that. Third stage is only four years old. So you have to prove a, a certain amount of revenue growth over that time fr frame, which for us um, was, was a bit challenging just because we are so young as a company. Um, so can you kind of take us through why you started third stage and the growth that you've experienced since then um, within the company and just establishing the executive team. Sure. Yeah. And thank you everyone for, for joining today uh, on the live stream, but um, yeah, it's a, it, it is a great honor to be on the list and it's a good sort of measure of how, how you compare to other high growth companies and whatnot. Um, but really, you know, the reason we started the company was uh, to provide that independent technology agnostic um uh, advisory service for, for clients and in, in ways to help them through their digital transformations. And, um, you know, it's funny because when I, you know, when you start a company, sometimes you, you have high aspirations, but you also just want to, you just want to survive too at the same time. So it's interesting to look back and think it kind of what, you know, what we were thinking four and a half years ago, um, you know, and just hoping to get by and hoping to kind of build some sort of a, a company, no matter how small or how big. And so to see it really take off and grow like this has been, really rewarding and it's been fun to add team members like Greg and you and others. Um, but it's also been fun to just work with all the clients we've, we've been able to. And, and so it's been a, it's a fun journey so far for sure. Absolutely. And, and Greg, going to you, you are the newest member of the executive team and with your wealth of experience within the industry, it was a big move for you to come to a, a younger company and really manage and pioneer um, our client um, community and strategic partnerships. Can you kind of take us through what, what you saw as far as a value in joining the third stage executive team? 
No, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm really honored to join the third stage team. And I, I think that bringing a wealth of experience and, and depth of knowledge across uh, many industries that, um, you know, Eric has been uh, really great about uh, kind of evangelizing in the community is, is something that, um, you know, has, has, has been my uh, uh, direction as well with regard to digital transformations and enterprise software all the way along. And so joining a team like Third Stage and leading the relationships with the software vendors, with the technology providers and our partnerships there, as well as the systems integrators in the, in the marketplace is uh, really kind of a dream come true, to tell you the truth. And then the recognition in the, uh, in the Inc. 5000 is definite proof that uh, moving in this direction, especially as an independent advisory in the ERP and, and uh, digital enterprise space, is exactly the right direction that our clients want to go. So uh, very happy to be here. And, and I think it's a, a great week to celebrate both Eric's birthday and the Inc. 5000 placement. It so. is on, on a Friday in the in the U.S. here, especially. But you heard it from Greg. We make dreams come true here at Third Stage. So that's that's our, our brand message. We'll own that. But so when when we talk about the independent space, Eric, how did you see a need in the marketplace for that? And why is it so rare to have an independent and technology agnostic consultant see? Yeah, well, I. You know, it was actually an idea that I had really early in my career. I remember feeling like the companies I was, I was at really early in my career were biased and, and were acting in their own self-interest, which was to refer and to recommend and implement certain types of products versus the, the technologies and solutions that were necessarily best for, for a client. So it was an idea I had a long time ago, but I figured, you know, someone else would start a company along the way or, you know, maybe I would someday when I had more experience. And then that day came where I felt like, okay, I, f I feel like I have enough experience. So let's, let's start a company that, that does that independent, um, that takes that independent technology agnostic angle. I think the reason though, it's so hard and the reason that, um, more companies aren't independent is because it's a lot easier to not be independent, especially when you're first starting out. So in other words, when you start out, you could be independent, but you're sort of on your own, um, so good news is you're independent, you're, you know, client first, you can focus on what the client's needs are. The bad news is you don't necessarily have the support of a big marketing machine or marketing engine and business development machine from say a SAP or a Microsoft or an Oracle or someone like that. So it's certainly a lot easier just to hitch on to a big software vendor and drink the Kool-Aid and say, we're going to become a shop that focuses on technology, a whatever the technology is, and knowing that you've got the, the big company behind you, the lead generation, all that stuff. So it, it's too tempting, I think, for a lot of, for most consultants to even want to be independent, even if they like the idea of being independent, it's just too tempting to hitch onto a big, um, big software company and or to make revenue off software sales. If, if you can make money by referring certain products and you get a pretty decent cut of that recurring revenue, that's pretty appealing. And so I think the temptation of money, to be honest, to, just to put it simply, it's, it's money and uh, wanting to make money faster that leads so many organizations down the path of not being independent. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so if we talk about that need for independence, Greg, when you work with our clients, 
what are some of the issues that come up when they work with a consultant or work with just a vendor or system integrator and don't have that full independent lens or advisory? What are some things that, that you've seen happen that third stage might have to come in and triage uh, or help to fix? Great point. Uh, great question. And uh, I think Eric answered part of that in terms of the independence and, and really not being obligatory. Uh, to any single systems um, solution and platform, but being able to find what the client's true need is and then create a level playing field to, uh, to allow for um, <clears throat> evaluation of several different systems and potentially several different systems integrators. So you see the entire ecosystem surrounding core ERP which is traditionally finance, supply chain, human resources, human capital, and the, uh, and the, the payroll piece of that. Uh, surrounding that are other ancillary applications like document management, the um, um, asset management, uh, manufacturing execution systems, on and on and on that surround that core ERP system, making up digital operations. So if you have a huge practice, you've got a, <clears throat> a whole um, uh, busload of people that have been educated and trained in one particular software or system uh, discipline, bringing that to bear for the client's best interest is often clouded in terms of what the entire strategy and the overall uh, topology of the solution looks like. And that's where we're able to bring our independence to bear and find the right solution for our client, not the right solution for any single technology solution or software vendor. Absolutely. That's well said and, and definitely something that, that we hold true in our core values is adding that business advisory, that project management for our clients, their goals and objectives, their strategies that are going to maximize the value of their technology, not any other vendor's agenda. Although we do work closely with, with vendors. Um, so what's that relationship like to kind of be that frenemy um, character, Eric, in the marketplace where you do give a lot of those, um, those unbiased opinions, which might not always uh, land well. And we're going to do like a, a mean tweets. If you've seen Jimmy Fallon here in the United States, mean tweets, we're going to do some, some mean comments that Erica's got in one of our um, upcoming videos. But what's that like to kind of be in that space? Well, it's, it's, um, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, I think we've done a better job in recent years of, of sort of walking that, finding that right balance, you know, between being, because on one hand we're, we're disruptive. You think, if you think about it in the industry, which is weird just because we're independent and we're not aligned with a software vendor, that alone makes us disruptive, which to me is kind of strange that, and it's pretty telling that that alone make, you know, makes you disruptive. And, and the reason being is because we're not coming in with a carefully crafted vendor approved message that we're delivering to the market, which is what most consultants do. And they, they work side by side with software vendors to craft that, you know, message that helps sell their software. And, and it's not just consultancies, by the way, it's also all the industry analysts and mm -hmm. um, there's a whole ecosystem built for each of these big platforms that's really focused on getting third parties on board with their message and sort of getting them all 
rowing in the same direction from a marketing and selling message perspective. So then we come in as independent. We can't be bought. Um, we're not just going to focus on one solution. We're not going to just focus on the the you know drinking the Kool Aid and talking about all the great things in the marketplace. We're also going to talk about the risks, and that's what organizations ultimately need to hear. It may not be the funnest thing to talk about, you know, the downside risk of doing a digital transformation or implementing any sort of technology. Um, and it may not be, you know, there's so I guess, long story short, there's so much of what we do and what we say in our messaging and in our thought leadership that isn't what the software vendors would approve or say. And so to your point, you know, once they, you know, they realize when we first started, I think there was more of a perception of, well, these guys are, um, you know, A, can we buy these guys? You know, we get inquiries all the time, or we used to more often get inquiries of, hey, maybe we can just get them to become a reseller of our software, and then that'll get them in line with what we want them to say. And then they realize that like, we can't be bought. So then they, I think what happens is, you know, as we've grown and we be, we've become so influential in, our, in the marketplace, vendors sort of realize, well, we need to play nice in the sandbox and we need to kind of figure out a way, maybe an alternate way to, to engage with these guys. Um, so that's how we've done it is we've been, and Greg's helped us a lot in this space in the last, you know, six months or so, which is really, you know, not being too arm's length distance from the vendors, you know, certainly understanding their product, understanding what they're doing longer term and collaborating and being frenemies where appropriate, but not going so far as to have any sort of economic incentive to recommend one product or one technology or to focus on any one technology over another. Yeah, that make, that makes a lot of sense. And, and Greg, I, I know you want to jump jump in here because you you know you manage a lot of the strategic partnership. And I but I want you to kind of teach our audience and educate our audience about our vendor relationships and why they're important and how you've helped us kind of grow into that less of a frenemy, more of a strategic partner. Uh, I love the term frenemy, except that um, you know that's. Um, uh, a description that I, I wouldn't necessarily use. I, I think that um, the uh, it's it's critically important that we understand the roadmap, that we understand, you know, connecting to the software vendors, to the platform providers, in a way that uh, we can then convey to our clients what is the best solution specifically for them, for their processes, for their people, what is going to work best for our clients. And, and really having that connection to the uh, to the software vendors in really an advisory role that, um, that allows us to have that uh, close association yet independent nature in the terms of our recommendations that that ultimately come down <clears throat> through strategy and decision with our with our clients and actually they are starting to really understand that creating that level playing field allows them to bring you know, their, their A game to any evaluation to really helping the client understand why they might be the best solution for them. And with our knowledge of those vendors and being able to access their executive teams, access the, uh, the people that we need on the development and the delivery side, um, we're able to bring the best solution for our, our clients to bear. We're here playing a clip from our recent discussion about third stage making the Inc. 5000 fastest growing companies in America. We're going to continue the conversation when we return from a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control.
If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 83. We're here with Kyler Cheatham and Greg Benton talking about the Inc. 5000 ranking and third stage's placement in that Inc. 5000 ranking. So let's go ahead and play the remainder of the clip. Absolutely. It's so important. Um, so well said. Eric's over here waving bye to the vendors. He's like, goodbye, get out. No. <laughs> oh, you can see that. It's, I didn't uh, was. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. No, I'm just, I'm, but so important. Um, Greg's messages, uh, Eric's actually waving bye to his kids going to school. And Greg, you're actually bringing your son, your youngest son, up to college today. So big. It's an emotional week. <laughs> it is. It is. That's a great way to put it. Um, but moving back to our audience, we do have a lot of our, our global audience on here today. We've got some um, from Phoenix. We've got some from Egypt, uh, uh, from Illinois here in the States, from India. Um, and then we have a lot of um, congratulations and happy birthday messages here for um, Eric and team. So thank you so much for joining us. If you do have um, questions, we're going to kind of move into what it's like to be a really high growth company, specifically from a technology standpoint, because what our, our unique place in, um, in the marketplace is we not, we're not only on this list as an honoree, but we work in this space with a lot of our high growth clients because the, the main thing to scale that growth is going to be a strong foundation in technology, process, and people, that side. So I want to kind of move into that line of conversation, see if we can scale some of what we've seen from our clients and share some case studies in that way. If you do have questions, though, as a reminder, wherever you're joining from, go ahead and pop those in the chat. We can see them. We'll bring them up here and um, Eric and Greg will help us address and, and learn from them. So with that, Eric, I know a lot of our clients, especially post-COVID-19 pandemic or being involved in that, some skyrocketed into growth. We talked a lot with um, Bryce last week on our live stream about the impact of supply chain and kind of the interesting creative ways that businesses had to um, survive and thrive in, in that um, pandemic area, but specifically when we look at these younger companies in a really high growth phase, what are some recommendations that you have from the people process technology side to remain sustainable? Yeah, it's a great question. And, it, and I think the, you know, a couple things that come to mind, one is to recognize that, you know, what got you to where you are today is probably not going to be the same thing that gets you to the, to the future. And so really, carving out or crafting that that vision for what you want to look for what you want to be and look like operationally 
um, organizationally and also from a technology perspective, though, you know, that people process technology future state is really important. And it's, um, you know, it's especially important in faster, higher, higher growth companies because it's more of a, it's more of a moving target, right? Because you're, you're growing, you're changing and it's constantly evolving. And so kind of casting your mind forward to where you're not getting behind before you ever finish a transformation um, is really important because if you think about where you are today and if you just automate everything you're doing today, by the time you get done automating what you do today, things will change and you need something different and you've already sort of outgrown that technology potentially. So really looking to kind of where we headed, what kind of markets are we planning to enter? Um, how are our customer needs changing? How can we provide better tools for our, for our employees as we grow? Um, and really thinking further ahead and further forward, that that is going to go a long way. And then the other thing too is, you know, you just want to be careful when you're in high growth mode and assuming that, you know, like most organizations that are growing fast, that consumes cash and it takes money to to grow and it and it uh, you need cash flow to sustain that growth. The last thing you need is a money pit of a digital transformation to suck that mm-hmm. money out of your out of your growth. And so, really managing your transformation in a very deliberate and focused way, so that you're able to have the right you know the right technology. You're not overdoing it. You're not biting off more than you can chew. You're not overspending. You're you're keeping the guardrails in place for the transformation. That's that's important for any organization, but especially for a high growth organization where cash is king and where you just can't afford to have big budgetary overruns and that sort of risk in that in that growth scenario. Absolutely. I mean, I think that that's a great um, a great recommendation on kind of that balance, right, of being high growth, wanting to meet demand, wanting to, uh, you know, provide a great employee and customer experience while wanting to build out your internal competencies as well. So, Greg, what are what are some things that that you have um, as far as conversation points when you talk to one of our potential partners or clients in a very high growth phase? The, um, you know, every conversation that we're currently having is really focused on how do I, how do I continue to keep my operations moving forward as I look at a digital transformation for the organization? And there's much more consideration going toward, I can go to a unified system, a unified ERP system that has a breadth of uh, uh, options that can deploy a, a single a single solution going forward for me, or I can look at a hybrid or even a best of breed solution, depending upon what my business can sustain uh, going forward and how much change my organization will accept. So <laughs> the, uh, the way that a lot of these systems are, have been developed over the last five to 10 years is really just kind of evolving in different silos in terms of the functionality, in terms of you know, the, uh, the operations support that they provide to the organization, to the people, to the, to the technology side of it. And bringing those together now in a new solution going forward, this digital transformation is is very often a, an exercise in uh, pulling forth forward all of the uh, all of the different strategies and technologies that are available to them and actually having those systems interoperate so new platforms like palantir that's out there in the marketplace that is actually able to pull different technology uh, platforms and solutions together in a in a 
consolidated manner from, a, from an interoperability standpoint are, are an exciting new development in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I, I definitely want to get to trends, um, but I want to focus on another point that, that you made, Greg, that I think is a really important one. And I, I'm interested in your feedback on it, Eric. The Inc. 5000 list is full of very impressive entrepreneurs that have kind of a, a more entrepreneurial spirited company that um, might have run a very strong sprint, right? But it, to run the, the mile or the marathon, it takes some shifting and specifically that change that Greg mentioned, which can be very hard for kind of a cowboy culture to sustain and grow. What are some recommendations if you are in kind of that situation or experience any type of, of change or culture shift when it comes to new technology scaling for growth? Well, I, I think the first is to, you know, recognize the importance of culture. I mean, and, and recognize that, you know, you need to have good processes, you need to have good systems, you need to have a good strategy and obviously a good offering to the market. Those are all really important. Um, but uh, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, myself included in, in my previous company, uh, forgot about, you know, they forget about the cultural piece of it. So I think recognizing that, you know, you want to kind of have a, a decent understanding of what kind of culture it is you're trying to create as an organization, which is hard to do as an entrepreneur, because when you start, a lot of times it's just you or you and a couple other people. And then you start to add people to that. And you can, you know, those are the really early formative stages of defining what your culture is. Those first few hires you make um, will have a, you know, an inordinate or a outsized impact on your culture longer term than you might think, just because that's sort of defining, sort of setting you on a trajectory. Once you're on that trajectory, though, obviously you need to pivot and sort of recognize, like, is this culture going the way we want? And if not, you know, there's warts that come up during the cultural evolution. You need to make sure you're, you're pivoting and being more deliberate about how you as a leader impact that culture and also how you bring on people that reinforce or help create the culture that, that you're trying to create. And so, it's a really intangible thing. It's hard to measure. It's hard to see and touch and feel, um, but it's something that's really important to ensure that you you know you, you can use that to fuel fuel the growth. And one thing I've seen with third stage is as we bring on, as we've grown from you know zero people or or just myself, my wife, and a couple other people um, when we started in April 2018, we've grown from that to you know over 50 people now worldwide. So, you know you you add on all these people and you have to make sure that you're continuing to build that culture and you're not just going out and hiring bodies you know you have to hire mm -hmm. people that aren't just smart or aren't just qualified on paper but also reflect who it is you're trying to be as an organization so i think that culture is really powerful and we're seeing i think that's honestly why we've grown so much or a big part of why we've grown so much is because of that culture we've created absolutely i mean uh, and culture specifically has the power to fail a digital transformation or cause transformation failure. Greg, can you kind of elaborate on how important it is to not only understand your culture as an executive, but also assess it in that readiness to understand what is your appetite for change in the organization to ensure you're optimizing your project for success? Sure. And, uh, you know, from the very beginning, executive alignment and really understanding where you want to go, clearly understanding the end point of your journey is, 
is something that a lot of people, a lot of organizations uh, really just kind of pass by with a cursory uh, attempt to say, yes, everyone's agreeable to the change and we're moving forward. It really does take a kind of an understanding of what your organization uh, culture is all about, how you're going to get people to adopt change and adopt the new system and move forward under the same banner, under the same umbrella. And that starts with the executive level, mm -hmm. but it also translates down into, you know, all areas of the organization. Everyone has to agree to, to move forward in the same way. If mm -hmm. there's a, uh, if there's a, a, a kind of a, a dichotomy in the, uh, in the understanding of, of different areas of the organization, be it the manufacturing floor or the executive, um, you know, front office, uh, about what you're trying to accomplish when you're when you're ultimately completely live and stable and operating as a uh, as a digitally transformed business, then you're not going to have a smooth journey along the way, and that's what that's what it means to bring the culture together from the very beginning. We often talk about a phase zero at the very beginning mm -hmm. to to really prepare the organization both technically and functionally to follow that cultural change path in order to be successful in the entire deployment of the digital transformation and, and enterprise operations. So. Absolutely. And that phase zero, if you've never heard of that before, I definitely recommend going to check out our YouTube channel, Eric's YouTube channel, um, to hear Greg talk about that, because I think that that is absolutely the most important step is to just ensure that you are set up for success. Because if there's cracks in the foundation, you can't fix that after the house is built, right? You have to tear the house down and redo the foundation, which can be very expensive um, and cause a lot of business disruption, especially for these specific um, really high growth businesses. So definitely recommend that. Also, I just want to point out that third stage, we do that. We are that insurance package. So if you are thinking about going through a digital transformation, highly recommend you just reach out to us um, via email, uh, via uh, anything that you, you'd like to connect with us. And we, we can tell you, you know, in that project on it, are you ready to go? Is this going to be successful and point out any pitfalls? Um, one thing I do want to share real quick, um, we had some questions about how can you join the third stage consulting team? Um, we're always looking for new talent within our organization. You can head to our um, website or you can email work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Um, either one um, and reach out and, and talk to us. We're here playing a clip from our recent discussion about third stage making the Inc. 5000 fastest growing companies in America. We're going to continue the conversation when we return from a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting 
to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 83. We're here with Kyler Cheatham and Greg Benton talking about the Inc. 5000 ranking and third stage's placement in that Inc. 5000 ranking. So let's go ahead and play the remainder of the clip. So this is a really good question that I think a lot of entrepreneurs also feel, Eric. So I'm going to bring it up from our, our LinkedIn audience. When you're a startup, the first few hires have that inordinate impact on your culture. So you need them carefully. Such so, so, so true. And this person is feeling the impact of the early hires in my company, even those who are no longer with it. So that really seems like a huge, huge decision. So when you are bringing in, you know, partners on the executive t- team like Eric and we have, or like Eric, you're Eric, like Greg, <laughs> um, and some of our other, uh, we have an, an excellent COO here um, that does a lot of our behind the scenes, um, Craig Andre and a lot of other big directors that you've hired. How do you ensure in the hiring phase when you are scaling for growth that you are picking the right resource? That's a great question. And, and it's, um, you know, it's something we 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 fumbled around. We we fumbled on a on a few hiring decisions early on. Um, again, not because they're bad people or because they weren't qualified, but just because it it, it didn't reflect the culture we were trying to become. And, and one thing I'll I'll point out too is that the culture you are when you first start out. Again, when it's just a couple people or a mm-hmm. small handful of people, uh, and the skills you need, the type of person you need when you're smaller looks a lot different than when you're you're bigger. And, and one thing that we found in the last, I'd say in the last year at third stage is we we feel ourselves sort of moving out of our awkward teenage years as a, as a which I have two teenage boys, so I, I know that I'm, I'm knee deep in the awkward teenage years right now. Um, but you're, you're moving out of the awkward teenage years and sort of becoming an adult. That's how, we, how it feels at third stage right now. And so you, the people we, that worked out well, that we hired, that were good cultural fits and fit who we were early on. Some of those people are no longer with us, largely because it didn't fit the skills and the the culture we needed mm-hmm. to become to grow up. You know, for lack of a better word. So it's it's I guess it's it's not a static thing. Um, yeah, it is something that has to evolve. But at the end of the day, more even more fundamental than that though is you have to. I always use the litmus test of when we hire people. I always think about a scenario. Being a consultant, we travel a lot. And I always think of scenarios where you get stuck in an airport for like two or three hours because your flight's delayed and you want to, you know, you're, you're traveling with someone, you want to go have a beer or go have lunch or whatever. I always ask myself, could I see myself being, having a good time just hanging out with this person and, and being stuck in an airport bar for two hours while flight's delayed? I always use that as sort of a litmus test. Not to say that it has to be, you know, someone I'm going to be best friends with, you know, in, in personal life, but you have to you know, for me, it has to be someone that I just want to be around, like someone that, you know, reflects who I am. And and as a leader, you kind of have to put your fingerprint on the, on the company and say, this is who I am as a person. Not that I'm perfect, but you know, this is who I am as a person. I need people around me that sort of reflect my, my values and you know, who I am and all that sort of thing. So that's a super basic litmus test, but it's something that I use still to this day. I was, I was just at the end of the day, want to hire people that, that you like, 
that you like working with and you think your team is going to like working with. Mm-hmm. And ultimately for us, even more important is our clients are going to like working with them. So uh, I'd say those two things, it should be you know focused on what's important to you. And you should also recognize that those needs are going to change as you grow. You know, you're going to have different needs and different cultural impacts as you get bigger. Absolutely. And pivoting to you, Greg, you really oversee our client facing brand here. So how do you ensure that you have a culture match from the internal resource to the client? Because that's that's really what we do here at Third Stage is making sure that this person is going to be a trusted or this team trusted business advisor. Um, and that's that's a big role to fill. So how, how do you manage to that? Kyler, that's a huge role. And I, I kind of wanted to uh, to jump in when Eric was talking about his litmus test in the uh, in the airport, because I think we do the same thing with our clients. Yeah. Um, in, in multiple conversations every week, the uh, the first time that we sit down with them, you know, it has to be a partnership that works both ways. Right. So we have to understand that culturally we're going to have a fit. So. We take our, our mission-driven and professional people and put them together with the client and make sure that, you know, this is, this is going to work from the very beginning. Um, we talked a little bit about cultural fit in terms of even the technology providers, the, the systems mm-hmm. integrators, the, uh, the software vendors, right? So finding that cultural fit along with our people and building that trust relationship is is critically important and maybe there's a litmus litmus test that says all right if we uh if we get in a room together and we have a successful you know technology deployment uh how are we going to celebrate that and you know just asking that question and figuring out whether or not we're going to be a match is the uh is the bi-directional win-win that uh that we look for in a cultural cultural exchange so Absolutely. And I think that's one thing that's very unique to third stage is we are very intentional about matching up that relationship. We don't just throw people on a project because you need a warm body there. That's actually the opposite of what we do. We spend a lot of time um, and conversation and getting to know our clients and giving them our best match because that's the way that we produce value and are successful. So I think that's really well said, Greg. Um, I want to shift gears in our last couple minutes here um, just to talk about kind of where the industry is heading and where third stage is heading, um, some future views. Uh, we recently did a, a, a profile on our ground control podcast about how many companies will go through a digital transformation. We looked at some research and studies and it said that in the next three years, over 80% of companies will go through some sort of technology transition or digital transformation to become a more digital-based workplace. And we could be talking about work from home. We could be talking about an e-commerce platform. We could be talking about the integrations, Greg, that you were mentioning between systems and using that data as a platform to make better decisions as an organization. So Eric, I want to hear from you first. In 2030, what will third stage be? Crystal ball time. <laughs> um. <laughs> I, I was expecting you to go down the trends, you know, the overall industry trends. I, route, so I, I like, you know me, I like to just, I like to fresh. Jump right to 2030. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I think it's interesting because that's, that's a lot of what we're focused on now strategically as an organization mm-hmm. is how do we, how do we continue to grow uh, internationally, um, you know, to, to kind of take full advantage of our, 
brand recognition and, and just the the demand for our services in the marketplace. And that's been the hardest thing for us, which is a, a good problem to have is, is been really just keeping up with, with demand and, and, uh, you know, a lot of our marketing initiatives and thought leadership initiatives have really taken off and delivered a lot of just a lot more demand for our services than, than I would have anticipated by this point in our, in our journey. So I think, you know, this continued sustained growth is really important. Um, also, you know, really just, just, um, you know, being true to who we are as an organization, maintaining that culture, preserving that culture, but also, um, just taking more advantage of, of, of the opportunities in the marketplace is, is probably the biggest thing. I don't have any, I couldn't give you any quantitative metrics around how big I think we'll be or, um, you know, what our revenue will be in 2030. Um, but at this point, you know, that, that aggressive growth is, is a big part of what, what our plans are. So we're, you know, constantly looking at ways to, to fuel that growth. Absolutely. And, and that aggressive growth, um, not only on the third stage side, but also on the technology evolution side. So Greg, what are some things that you're seeing in the marketplace as far as where digital transformation will be in the next three to five years? I think that uh, all the way along, there have been two types of digital transformation. One is digital transformation with a capital T, as I like to call it. And that's moving to a whole new technology platform for a variety of reasons, because your current systems are becoming obsolete and being decommissioned in a couple of years. And so in advance of that, you're looking at replacement, right? There's also optimization and keeping a lot of the systems that you're currently running and bringing that together. So I think that um, in the in the future, um, the industry is moving toward that lowercase t transformation, mm -hmm. which which really involves bringing together those those different systems in an interoperable manner. And I think staying true to the third stage independence and agnostic approach is going to help us grow as a company and grow within the, the demand area of the marketplace in terms of being able to provide those holistic solutions for, for enterprise going forward. I think that's, that's going to be the, the look of third stage in 2030 in answer to your question directly. Well, that is a good look if you ask me. Okay. Yeah. Right. And, and speaking of that, those integrations, those using different systems in different areas, or just making sure that they talk and connect to each other. Eric is traditional ERP dead. <laughs> That's a, you're, you're baiting me, aren't you? I really uh, am. I have five minutes left to to be disruptive for our brand. Right. <laughs> You're trying to disrupt the disruptors. Yeah, um, right. I think it 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 could and should be dying. Um, if that if that makes sense. Um, in a way, I mean by that is I don't think ERP systems are going anywhere anytime soon. But I think there's a lot of cracks in the foundation that have been exposed over the last couple decades of trying to implement one size fits all broad based solutions in the name of wanting integration. Um, I think companies, a lot of companies have gone too far that direction of, of putting all their eggs in one basket of one big software solution that can't possibly be everything that you want it to be, especially for larger organizations. So um, I think there's just going to be, I don't know that it's it's dead, but to Greg's point earlier about interoperability and, and what used to be known as best of breed and just all these different point solutions, these really specific focused industry niche solutions, there's just so many great technologies out there and the barriers to entry are lower than ever as far as 
creating a software company or building a software. Um, so it's, I think it's really chipping away at the, the incumbent, the big ERP software vendors. I think their, their market share is going to continue to erode. I don't think it'll ever go to zero or I don't think, you know, I don't expect SAP or Oracle to fail anytime soon um, as organizations, but I think those big, big ERP solutions uh, definitely have weaknesses and they're not the right answer for all organizations would be my politically correct answer, I suppose. Greg has made you so politically correct. I don't even know if I (laughs) support this transition. No one one can make me too politically correct. I know. Well, we all know. I'm trying to temper it. Trying to temper it. (laughs) He, as, all he can do is temper. He can't get rid of it. Good, <laughs> that's a good, good shift, definitely. So, going to you, Greg, you touched on um, like Palantir, some additional smaller pieces of technology that might not be core ERP, but are very, very important to ensuring that you maximize the value of your technology. So, what are some other maybe digital adoption platforms, integration platforms, some additional um, vendors in the marketplace that haven't been that core group of looking at an N4, SAP, Oracle, Epicor, those types of bigger kind of titans in the industry? What are some other things that you've seen from the system side? Well, I, I think that, um, you know, for one thing, I'm not in the, uh, in the camp that says ERP is dead. Um, I'm in the camp that says ERP is an important core part of everything that is going forward in terms of digital operations. Maybe we should we should think about the evolution as evolving from ERP, enterprise resource planning, to digital enterprise operations, DEO. Um, you know, hopefully I'm I'm coining a new term, right? Yeah. But as as we move to that, really, right is, now. It, it really. <laughs> It really is the um, kind of the, the genesis of the uh, of the new platform era. So mm-hmm. you're going to see people like um, Azure, like AWS, like um, several of our, our uh, single privately um, privately hosted solutions through Estes and Navisite and and certainly uh, uh, Palantir is kind of the connecting piece for those different and disparate technologies. Um, that's where I see the platforms actually taking over for a single threaded ERP system and making it digital enterprise operations going forward. So that's what I see as, as kind of the elevate, elevation and evolution of the marketplace. Yeah, that's a really wise observation. Um, definitely. I, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, in our, our last couple minutes here, and then we have to let Greg and... Um, Eric, go back to their day jobs, but I want to hear from from both of you of what you're most proud of, what this win means to you the most when it comes to being involved in third stage. So I'll go to you first, Greg, and then we'll kind of round out final thoughts with you, Eric. You know, really recognition by uh, Inc. in in a way that is is just completely unfiltered and certainly not not acquired. It's it's earned. Um, it's testimony to, you know, we are finding the right place in the marketplace, that we are finding the right place in the community. And it's, it's great recognition of that growth trajectory uh, as a vote to say we're moving in the right direction and our people are, are, are definitely following the right path. Good. Very well said. What about you, Eric? Well, I think it's, for me, it's the, the team we've built. I mean, it's a really strong team and, and um, 
I just I have never worked around this caliber of people before. And not only back to the cultural discussion or thread before, not only do I feel extremely comfortable getting stuck in an airport bar with any one or all of the people on our team, um, but they're just really I mean there's good people you know they're they're good at what they do and um, you know we've got a, a strong culture and it, you know, I'm really happy with with the team we've built. Um, the other thing too is just the impact that we're having on clients. I mean, it's mm-hmm. really cool to see some of the projects we do. I mean, I, I learned so much. I love consulting in general. So I've always, that's all I've ever done. This is all I know is consulting, right? And digital transformations and ERP implementations. It's, that's my whole career has been doing that. So it's, it's all I really know and I love doing it. But the way, what we've done here is just so different as far as the impact we have on some really cool industries and niches that I didn't even know existed until we got these companies as clients. And, you know, a lot of them are really big multinational companies too. And just being able to have an impact, a material noticeable Mm -hmm. impact on some of these, the world's leading and largest companies is, is super cool. So it's, it's really rewarding from that perspective as well. Yes. I think third stage is so mission driven and wanting to provide that value on the business side for our clients. It's what we're all passionate about. That's the reason, you know, we, we spend so much energy and intention on providing the most valuable uh, recommendations that we can. So. All right. Good stuff. Well, thank you for facilitating that, that discussion, Kyler. And, and again, a great, great news for us and exciting, uh, exciting. And I thank you both you and Greg and the entire third stage team for helping us make that list for the first time of the uh, fastest growing companies in the U.S. And uh, they should do a global one too. I feel like, I feel like they should have like the fastest growing companies in the world. That'd be even, even more fascinating to see all these different companies and all different regions and how fast they're growing and what kind of niches they're in, all that good stuff. Yeah. And in, in the universe and Elon Musk can be on it, right? Cause he's in Mars. Right. Or the metaverse or something. We can include that too. Oh, right. We got to include the metaverse. You're right. Right. Every discussion we have, it seems like we touch on change management, Elon Musk, metaverse. And uh, I don't know, trying to think there's some common themes we keep coming back to on the show. And those are, those are a few of them there, but, uh, but good stuff. Want to thank the, uh, the audience for listening in here today. And thank you, Kyler, for another great episode. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter, as well as all of the audio podcast platforms. Be sure to drop us a review, subscribe to the show and to the our YouTube channels as well. You can also find us all on social media too. So be sure to check us out there. So I want to thank you all for being here. We'll hope you have a great week and we'll see you next week on Transformation Ground Control. Have a great day in the meantime. Mm-hmm.